Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. Your podcast, Billy, no longer belongs to you. It's America's podcast now. Steve Martin. Everyone knows that line. Ring, ding, ding. It's As even more evil Jerry Jones? Yeah. So who is Jerry Jones? He's the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. Because this character He's also- He's sort of hobgoblin-esque figure in the National Football League. His portrayal, and I have no context for Jerry Jones, obviously, and obviously mm-hmm. I'm, I'm digging straight into the deep end. Yeah, right. You're, uh, his yeah. portrayal. Uh-huh. Right. Um always felt like it was kind of Ted Turner inspired. Mm-hmm. But is Jerry yeah. Jones that type of guy or is he combining? No, yeah, he's doing more of a Ted Turner thing. In That's terms a good of point. his actual energy and everything, right? Jerry Jones is more like of a creepy Southerner who's uh-huh. a maniac. I Wait, wish Steve I mean, Martin had grown a mustache for this. What? Mm. Guys, I think we're talking the walk I 2018. I think we're talking the walk God. 2018. We're here. Check. We made it. We're talking the walk. Check. Here's blank. Let's do the intro, but just the words are all out of order. <laughs> no, don't actually do that. Baby. What were you going to say? I was going to say this. I need to start right here. I've seen a lot of people talking online about how this is a bad movie, how this is. We're starting with this? Jesus no, Christ. No, no, no. We are starting with this. <laughs> okay. If you're tuning in right now and you're like, uh, I don't know if I'm listening to this episode. Oh, sure. You want to hook them. I'm going to convince you. I think they this, may have already swiped delete just the, the sight of Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, but maybe this not. This is what cinema is about. <laughs> we like blank checks, not because they are guarantees, yes. but because they are blank. I agree. And with this that. is a blank check. This is beyond a blank check. This is, I 100%. just was watching it last night and said, this is quietly one of the most insane cultural artifacts of all time. And quietly, because no one talks about it, but we're here talking the walk and 2018. Talking the walk 2018. <laughs> Sorry, it's David. one of the, the bigger bounces. It's one of the it's bigger bounces. It's quite a bounce. And yeah. that's fine. But that, we don't, that's okay. No, JD, it's not okay. It's okay as long we, as we talk the walk. We're gonna we talk like walk. blank checks because sometimes they don't work out, but they're blank, and you go for it. Hey, JD, you if say- everything had to be a guarantee, we'd just get Marvel movies and Star Wars movies. JD, you're blank right. Thank it. Thank it. I'm JD Amato, and I love movies. I'm Griffin Newman, and I love movies. I'm David Sims, and I'm eating a Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich. God, what a philistine. <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> oh, if Wendy's sponsored the show, that'd be great. Come on, Wendy's, get aboard. Um, this, of course, is Blank Check. It's yes. a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their career, and are granted a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they walk very slowly and traumatically, mm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, in high definition. Yes. This is a miniseries on the films of Ang Lee. It's called Broke Pod Malcast, and today we are talking about his most recent film. Yes, this is our season finale, our miniseries finale. That's true. Yeah. Or is it? Um, bum, bum. Um, and it's called uh, Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk, and it's... Long Halftime Walk. Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. Do you still get caught up every time you say the title because you want to say Billy Flynn like Chicago? As I believe I've mentioned on this podcast, I literally RSVP'd to the screening invitation or I like emailed someone at Sony being like, 
It is Sony, right? Yeah, Sony. Yeah. Uh, like, I can't wait to see Billy Flynn's line. <laughs> they did not acknowledge my mistake. It's one of those things. I razzle f- dazzle. This yeah. movie's full of razzle dazzle. I, for a while, mistakenly kept calling it Billy Lynn's big halftime walk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it also that is also true. Um, I had the same thing with Inside Lewin Davis. I think because of No Country for All Men, I want to keep calling it Inside Llewellyn Davis. I see. You right. know? It's like Llewellyn Moss. When right. there's another popular character i mean no character is more popular than billy flynn he's on every pizzeria mural <laughs> pizzeria mural every hollywood okay, souvenir we've, store we've lost the thread immediately <laughs> you know those pizzerias with classic murals and yeah, the no, where it's, of like, cinema. it's like frank sinatra and the coliseum and McCall. <laughs> right. it's the guy it's who owns like the, when there's a building yeah you know? yeah it's the guy who owns the shop in front of the leaning tower of pizza yes, yes right next and to I the ghostbusters pizza. And they're crossing Billy the streets. Billy Lynn. He's got another movie coming out. It's not like this is Ang Lee's last movie no, ever. No, October no, no. 4th, 2019. We will cover Gemini Man. But that's the point. That's a year from now. That will that's be a while at from that now. point. You know? This is where he is. His walk ends That's where right this now. mini-series ends. It is. We check back in with our friend Ang. Yeah. Um, and that's the beauty of Ang Lee is that he keeps getting chances to yeah. make interesting things. Because mm-hmm. sometimes... Sometimes they're groundbreaking and may not manifest into a film that people love sure. or that people or can uh, stand get to casu- watch or right. that casual viewers take in. Yeah. Sometimes he makes these things that are big swings that are Oscar winning films that this sweep the nation. This is true. You also go the films of his that have been commercial breakthroughs are the films that no one could have predicted would be commercial breakthroughs. 100%. Like, Brokeback Mountain making $80 million, Crouching Tiger making 120, Sense and Sensibility making 60. Those are insane numbers yeah. that sort of broke the the expectations for what those types of movies could do at that time. All true, except but you're not mentioning the biggest one, which, I mean, sort of. Highest it's grossing Worldwide, certainly the biggest one. Right, Life of Pi, which oh, was Life his, of Pi. I'm sorry, his yeah. last movie right. where, right, if you said on paper, like, well, I'm going to make this kind of like... CGI tiger, blue screen, yeah. epic based on a weird novel. With a lot like, of religious undertones. A novel that people yeah, thought was unfilmable, that like multiple directors hell, had tried and yeah, and, right, like, yeah. and like, they'd be like, well, you know, maybe it'll be an awards player. And it's right. like, no, smash hit. Like, genuine smash hit. Well, and that's the most important piece of context and for this player. movie, is that, uh, and I'm sure we'll have covered this in detail on the Life of Pi episode, but the notion that post-Life of Pi, yeah. Ang Lee is now for the first time seen as one of those filmmakers who breaks technical barriers. Right. Yes. Because he never was. He was always a very classical filmmaker. Even something it's like Hulk where he so... was pushing. Well, but Hulk is kind of. And people shit on it. He was pushing a lot of stuff at the time. and It's just so weird. His filmography is so weird. So weird. And to me, I, I say it's Seamus. Because once Seamus is gone is yeah. when he starts running wild. Right. But I think that's. Taking Woodstock is the last Seamus, mm-hmm. right? Correct. And I think that's fantastic. And I think, because I think there's not that many filmmakers, especially directors who have, mm-hmm. that are able to go, not only am I going to pick interesting content or things that are not the beaten yeah. path, but also I'm going to try to take these technical leaps. And sometimes they're huge achievements. I think all the times they're hu- huge achievements. Sometimes it captures the fascination of the world at large. Sometimes people have a harder time taking it in. There, there's a but big he three. keeps doing it. There's a big three, and Ang Lee became the surprising, unlikely fourth. But the big three, I would say, are Lucas, Cameron, and Jackson. Are the yeah. three guys who have really tried to like push it, right? Yeah, I guess so. That's fair. And like, created the their toilet. own technology, sure. you know? With like, their butts. 
<laughs> Come on. You're you're the professional film critic? What, what the fuck is this? This is David Sims of The Atlantic over here. Two directors we've covered on the podcast I know that you like. Well, Cameron, I'm cool with, but like... Yeah. I mean... Uh, Peter Jackson and uh-huh. and Georgie Porgy. Now, are you gonna try to back up? No, no. Explain? I'm just saying. Well, like Peter Jackson's, uh, <laughs> you know, you know his pushing. pushing, his he's mostly pushed in in bad directions. You know, his hobbits, his uh, high frame rates, all that shit. I would argue. Oh boy, here we go. He's gonna argue <laughs> something else now. I would argue you can't push it. I guess by the way, as if you couldn't tell. <laughs> yeah, JD Amato, friend I'm of JD the Amato, show, and I love movies. Blanket, thank it. Yeah. <laughs> I've now high five two of our three other people in the room. And also just to give some context. Griffin's just kind of far away. David, I, David, I think you're in a good mood today. Yeah, I'm in a good mood. Not stressed out. No, not stressed out. Oh. I, I hit it immediately. <laughs> now I'm stressed out. We heard no, a couple no, marimba bars. last time we recorded, I was in like an extremely stressed out mood. And then and I puked. Today, and, then and then you Griffin puked. Threw up. Unrelated. I don't yeah. think my stress made you puke. Uh, the poutine. Yeah, no. Putin. Oh, yeah. And Still, I know where I it was from now. I'm, I think I figured it out. You figured it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't want to um, rehash this. That was a nightmare. I, have you noticed that I'm... <laughs> JD was so I'm, stressed out. JD's yeah, sitting JD very is far sitting away. Far from Griffin. Yeah. As part of sort of my recovery process yeah. from that episode. Yes, right. Um, but I'm in a good mood. I, I don't know, Griffin, how you, how you feeling? I, I've, been going, I've been going through some stuff. Your back's hurting. Yeah, I was on steroids for a while, yeah. uh, which, uh, you know, my joke is that uh, it, it, they made me really cut and swole, but then I saw JD the other day, and he was like, you look really skinny. <laughs> I'm the only person to take steroids and somehow get more oh, emaciated. I, sir, I wouldn't say you look really <laughs> you're, skinny. You look, you're like, yeah, you look was- like the same... Size. I me. feel like I look slightly less healthy than I do, and that's already a low bar. But sure. I'll say this: but I've I, seen you look unhealthy before. Yeah, you know what I yeah, mean. Like right, it happens to you to sometimes, yeah. right? Yes, I. It, to me, it was not danger zone. It was just like yeah, no, you were but, like you're on the lower end of the the yeah. space I know you live in. You I carried your skinny. backpack for you. JD it's carried a, my backpack. It's you, you guys. So you guys. All right. Okay. So here. All right. I'm let's let's set the do scene this for, for two cents. No, no, I'm going to set the scene for the listeners. We have a lot to discuss. Yeah. We're going to talk about Billy Lynn's long halftime walk in this which, episode. Which Angley's I'm so excited about. 200, 2016 war drama. David has done... Uh, uh, David has done... JD has done more research for this episode than anyone has ever done for anything ever. Correct. Um, before then, though, JD, our good friend, mm-hmm. hung out with both of us separately... In the week leading up to this episode. In the week leading up to this episode. Was that a coincidence or was that planned? Did was you that want part that? I think it was the a prep coincidence. Work for well, this here's, here's yeah. what I think it was. I think it is a coincidence. That ours was a coincidence. Because ours we was... booked weeks in advance. We planned ours thing, our thing a month in advance. Yeah. And I thought it'd be... Griffin and I hadn't really touched base after both of us were dealing with various... We were both making TV shows, which no one should ever do. And we were talking to each other during that process about how stressed out we were. And yeah. overdue for a, a hangout catch-up. Yes, and I, th- I, I think I thought it would have been weird to have our first hangout catch-up be. I think that's a good point. On podcast right. talking right. about Billy Lynn, right? Because we're good friends, and that's uh, there's a lot of stuff that we both gone through in terms of wanting to retire to the Andes Mountains. Um, no, you're retiring to this studio, my friend. Okay. <laughs> Griffin hates it when I say that. Look, I can't get by on just a couple high altitude fucks. <laughs> But uh, we we went to see the Happy Time Murders, which I will say conclusively on this podcast, we will never do a bonus episode for. Thank you. And people calling for that. Thank you for this subreddit are maniacs. To be well, clear, people actually have multiple people have asked us for a Happy Time Murders bonus episode. Its own thread, and also coming up in other threads. <laughs> right. Hey, guess what? Like, when are the when when are the guys going to talk about it? Will never happen. 
Now, I, I want them solved, to be clear. I don't like the happy time murders. They're sort of solved, but they don't really make sense. Oh, okay. here's, here's all that I think needs to be said about it. Uh, I do not believe it's a blank check film. It's not, which is the most depressing thing about it. Sure. That's, that's the thing that sucks about it the most. Yeah, but it, it, isn't it one of those sort of like things where you're like, oh, this might have been a blank check at some point, and now it's just this like mess. Like, I think it it's not quite a paycheck point. movie. It's I not it, quite a blank check. I was saying I think it's more check than blank. Yeah, yeah. that's what JD said that I, like five times now. I think he, kept, but only once on mic. Once on mic. Yeah. I would equate it to like it. he he Make had it. he started handing out blank checks to other people in order to get the movie made. He's like, if I yeah. give you one blank check, then can I? To get Expensive other people movie. involved. It cost more than Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. That's insane. This isn't mumbling the murders 2018. This is talking the walk 2018. Mumbling the murders. All right. And then JD and I uh-huh. went to a big three basketball uh, final. The final championship. The championships, Here. which depressingly I read got a higher TV ratings than any WNBA game ever, which oh. is like truly depressing. Big th- this is big three? Big three. So it's Ice so Cube. So who was it? It was, it was uh, who? Jordan V. Ewing V. Right, Abdul Jabbar? The big, yeah, yeah. Those you're, are the, the big you're three. You're actually the great. not far off. <laughs> really? George well, Mirazan. Because v. he's Yaming, a little far off. V. Manu Bowl. Who are the biggest three basketball well, players? Manu Bowl is dead, sadly. Fuck. Is George Marazon still alive? Yes, he is. That's I a good poll, right? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're just sort of now you're naming like the, the famously, like ridiculously tall basketball Those are the only no, basketball he's players. He's naming basketball players that are in movies. R- which is right, why he right. would know that. Both. But uh, George Murison and yeah. Manu Bo are, are the two like seven seven guys. Right. Like the, 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 the tallest right. men who For ever played. For me to take note of an athlete, they had to be abnormally large and right. be in talkies. Yeah. Here's the here's here's what the big three is. Shaq here's the was pitch my favorite movie star for a while. Yeah. Big three is a league is. that Ice Cube created that is when NBA t- Wait, seriously? Yes. yes. When yes. NBA players retire, they can join the big three, which is all retired players. So we watched a game where Why like- Why is it called the big three? Because it's, it's three on three basketball, not five on five. So it's played like half court. You know, it's like, uh, it's kind of like street ball. You know? They're only on one side of the court? You, you, the court is only so one side. So what happens on that other side of the court? There's is it just more taped seats. Off? More yeah. seats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're into this. Wait, so who is in the game? <laughs> All right, so we were seeing the championship. Ice but Cube crit? This is a real blank not check. Not only did Ice Cube create it, this he is a blank opens check, right? the game with a concert. Like, Ice Cube comes on to stage. There's a stage when you arrive. Right, JD? Yes. And uh, This is a blank check. This is him using all his cachet from there his was, success in different you know, mediums, right? We, yeah, sure. And we sit down, and I, we're like, what's with the stage? And someone in front of us is like, Ice Cube's going to perform. And I was like, well, all right then, Ice Cube. <laughs> uh, the sound was terrible. Well, because here's the thing. Is it's, it's not a huge budget league. Right. It's in the Barclays Center. We're in the Barclays Center. Okay. I was sitting as close as we were sitting for Tarouk. He kept... Exp- he kept, yes. he kept I, re- re- I mentioned it. <laughs> he kept referencing Tarouk, the final flight or whatever it's He'd called. He'd nudge you and go, that's where the... Uh, yes. Yes, he did flew that. down. He literally did Pretty that. Ekron was right there. Pretty much. <laughs> he actually did that. <sighs> Tired there? No, I'm just I'm I shouldn't even talk about it. Ennui? No, it's just uh I'm sorry. I just I had like a disappointing career setback this week. What what happened? I lost the best of online betting category and good housekeeping. I knew you were really looking forward to that. Yeah. I'm sorry, you didn't get the trophy. Look, I, I'll admit, you know, the competition's been pretty light. No one's really been innovating the space, and I thought I could get this one in a walk. Because, like, you know. Sheets, they're always marked up. You know, most betting is marked up like 300%. It's a scam. 
So it, I got some dirty rags. I wrote my name on them, and I thought it would win. Griff linens. Griff linens. But then here comes Brooklinen. Oh yeah. Wow. Oh, here's our strategy. Let's make a really good product. Oh, you mean the fastest growing betting brand in the world with yeah. twenty thousand five star reviews? Let's Brooklyn do and- something that's respected by everyone. They like using it, and I'm like, okay, fine. I guess that's a way to go. So. Yeah, instead of your strategy, which was basically just trying to win by default, right? Brooklyn and- actually makes like fancy hotel sheet level sheets for like the average consumer. Right. I was like, hey, do you want to like sleep in a way that feels like you're taking a nap under a bridge during a rainstorm? And then everyone else is like, no, we'd rather like feel like, you know, fancy hotel sheets. You know, we we like... The idea of a, a husband and a wife who love each other and love linens and are making this product together rather than just a, a, a sad mid-level actor. And also they have a cool dog called Dukes. Yeah, and I don't have a dog. Uh, yeah, they've got this small business approach. It's a husband and wife team, so they're involved in every step of the manufacturing process, of the customer service process. They remember their customers by name, and they take out their middlemen, so they keep things personal. That, that's why it's like so affordable. And for me, this is also very personal because they live in the city that never sleeps, New York City, and so I feel like I, I'm no longer the hometown golden boy. Yeah, I mean, you did not deserve to win. I didn't. I have Brooklyn and sheets. They're very good. And then you gave me your sheets and I had to burn them in the backyard. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And like a ghost came out of them. Right. And I gave you a promo code and the promo code ended up costing you more money. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It added a a new loan to my. Yeah. Right. But with Brooklyn and which I've got Brooklyn and sheets. You've got Brooklyn and sheets. We're a couple of Brooklyn and babies. Yeah, I don't want to admit, but I've defected over it. They're the best, most comfortable sheets. They really are. And we have an exclusive offer for blank check listeners. You can get $20 off and free shipping. What? When you use the promo code check at brooklinen.com. My my shipping was $200. Brooklyn is so sure you're going to love the sheets. They offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is you use promo code CHECK at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code CHECK. That's nice, too, because my my sheets are high risk. It's nice of them to offer a risk-free guarantee that there won't be any uh, oil. Yeah, your sheets or are high risk. Yeah. Hey guys, what's I have like these wet, dirty sheets all over the oh, studio. Well, now but you know who I sold my don't remaining Don't put those near an open to. flame because you'll go up with them. Damn. Get some Brooklyn ends. Promo code check. Did he show you where Ben sniffed out the fart? No, but I did walk <laughs> oh, by it. And people think might not about it. No, that. Our producer Ben was a fart detective that night at the He was a fart center. detective. He detected a fart. Poet laureate, meat lover. He was an old person. And I, I just could tell by producer the, ben, ben the, the like producer stank. Ben. That was like a peeper. An old person. Fart. Benny, took him up any wet hat, Benny. We haven't had the names in a while. Do the names. Wish him a hello, Fennel. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Hello, Fennel. He's not Professor Crispy. No. He is a fuck master. Well, let's not go there. He's graduated certain tiles over the course of different miniseries, such as. Kylo Ben, producer Ben Kenobi, Ben Night Shyamalan, Ben Say, Say Benny Thing, dot, dot, dot. Ailey Ben's with a dollar sign. Uh, uh, Warhaz. Correct. Perdue Bane. Uh, ben 19, the Fennel Maker. Uh, 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 Benglish. Sure. Uh, Mr. Ben Credible. Uh, Robo Haas. right. And now. Do you have an angry one? Yeah. No, oh, you do. I've been seeing what people have been suggesting. Yeah, yeah, and there's been a clear I saw one that I really liked. I'm curious if you chose it. Okay. Eat, drink, Ben Hosler. That's the one that I saw that I loved. <laughs> Fair enough. 
I remember there being one other that I like, but I can't remember what it was. It doesn't matter. All right, so what, who did you see at the big three, All right, guys? so the big so, three. Well, we really saw cool. Ice Cube, LL Cool J as well. Is he financially involved, or was he just there to hang out? I don't know. At one point... He bought a ticket. I mean, he was financially involved in that. So can I just paint I the picture? He was just hanging out. Also, I pointed out there, LL Cool J is an interesting person. has been in both Deep Blue Sea and Toys. Yeah. Two two of your faves? Yeah. This guy's in good movies. Toys, which if we ever did a JD's choice where you could pick any movie you want, it would be Toys. toys. Yes. There was one point at which Ice Cube was performing. We couldn't really hear him because the acoustics were horrible. Because it was set up for basketball, not right. for an Ice Cube right. concert. And performing in the round in Barclays without proper sound design. Right. Not yeah. going to go well. And, and LL Cool J has walked to the stage. Like he's, you know, he's right there. No one else is doing this. Yeah. He has two cell phones, one in each hand. And he's filming Ice Cube with both cell phones. And I was like, does, is it like a Sonic and Knuckles thing where like, if you put them together, it's better. So that's Sonic and Knuckles thing. <laughs> they were like, imagine if you're holding two phones next to each other and filming something. You would just get the same video twice. I he's know, doing they, a story on Snap and he's doing a story on Insta. It's possible. Come on. Not that is very possible. I, I bet that's what he was doing. O'Shea Jackson Jr. was also there. Oh, he's good. He is. I know we have like four and a half hours he of the He got like daffed up by Amari Stoudemire. And I don't want to keep on sidebarring here. Mm-hmm. But just because this is one of our, we're now in the zone again of doing episodes within a month of their release. Yeah. Uh, Rob Letterman, director of Detective Pikachu, upcoming episode on this show. <laughs> it's, it's essential. We it's the most anticipated it. movie of all time, Detective right. Pikachu. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I love detective movies. I love Pikachu. Yes. <laughs> I have to see I'm this hoping movie. Detective Pikachu is what Happy Time Murder should have been. Just a hard-boiled noir. Pretty sure it won't be. A bare knuckle <laughs> noir. But um, he, he, in an interview, said that the Pokemon are going to be photorealistic. They're making them look like actual animals. Oh, now, God. Pokemon and are not real animals. They're, they're not. fake. But it sounds like the design aesthetic for this movie is to make them look like <laughs> yeah, real animals existing in our world. horrible. So my question now, moving laterally because of the thing you just said, because I've been debating this as well, is that the approach they're going to take with the fucking Sonic the Hedgehog movie? Maybe. Because just a weird because Sonic it's it's only cartoon, right? Right. But like, is Sonic the Hedgehog gonna be like Knuckles and Tails and Sonic all looking like roadside creatures, or is it gonna be like the Smurfs, where it's just like, what the fuck is this thing? This doesn't exist in our yes. universe. I don't know because hopefully it's like the Polar Express. The premise, I mean, Sonic it, doesn't look like a hedgehog. No, no, Sonic is a creature, and then he has some like sort of cool spikes, and that's right. like him. He's but he doesn't look like a hedgehog. hedgehog. He's the wrong color for a hedgehog. But the premise of the movie is James Marsden plays like a, a traffic cop, like a roadside, like speeding cop. That's the premise. Of that's Sonic not the premise, the but that's the human step is that's how he meets Sonic. So you have to imagine in a real world environment, he's there with his speeding gun I and just, this blue thing flashes by. And I wonder, is it just going to be a CGI creature with like red sneakers and the cool hair? Or are they going to make a photorealistic blue hedgehog who's like, hey, man. Jesus Christ. My pitch, if you make... Uh, a movie based on a video game. Mm-hmm. John Leguizamo must be the star of it. I mean, he'd be a great Sonic. No, it's Ben Schwartz. He would have Sonic. been a great well, right, Sonic. Fine. I mean, Jim Carrey is playing Dr. Robotnik. I'm we playing Knuckles. I should mention that. I buried the lead a little. I'm playing <laughs> Knuckles. Ben's playing Tails. <laughs> Tails uh, is my favorite. JD's playing Big the Cat. I'm playing... Um, Buzzy Doc- the Bee. Dr. Sure. Robotnik. Yeah. No, Jim oh, no, Carrey is Jim playing Carrey. Dr. Carrey. Robotnik. Right. Which, I mean... Fuck. Do you think... I'm playing the, the owner of the Casino Night Zone. I don't know. 
<laughs> Do you think that Jim Broadbent's agent has just been banging his head against the wall for six straight weeks on the fact they missed Robotnik? But do you think Robbent was like, oh no, like I won't, yeah. Robotnik, I wish I could do him now. Robotnik. But that even sounds like Dr. Robotnik. Right? Like that's how I imagine Dr. Robotnik should talk. What's his deal? Doctor, <laughs> Dr. he wants Robot. to turn the animals into robots. That's he, his he, thing. He's the Eggman. <laughs> this is, this is David's Eggman. observational stand of comedy. Yeah. What's the deal with Dr. Robotnik? <laughs> Can he walk or does he have to be in a spaceship? It's not clear. <laughs> it's so weird. The, com- What's he com- have against these animals? Old video games are so weird. Now they try and right. like have them, you know, make sense. Right. You know, like there's a little more thought yeah. into it. And, and then, you know, so like Mario, it's just like, oh, the dinosaur kidnapped a lady. Why? I mean, you know, he kidnapped her. Yeah. Why'd he do it? Ah. He just did. He, he's, you know. What if they announced Dr. that? Dr. Oh, you know, he's a doctor. He makes robots. <laughs> and the hedgehog doesn't like him. No, doesn't like him at all. Well, so much of like video game, like, quote unquote, plot lines were dictated by like, okay, so what can we do in technology? Right, right, right. Could we actually visually render? Right. Right. <laughs> like, like the designs, robots. right, came first. Um, what if Indiana Jones? This is our Billy Lynn podcast. <laughs> no, no, come on, come on. No, you're right. Let's talk up. the walk. Let's talk the walk. No, well, I just want to tell you that uh, we saw the the power uh, win the Big Three championship. Who's the power? That's the name of the team. Now, okay, here's the who's weirdest on the part. Team? Oh, uh, we got well, Big Baby Davis is sort of their star. Birdman, Glenn Davis. These are kind of like NBA veterans, like not yeah. quite stars. That's not true. One of these won Best Picture. One of these won Best Picture? Yeah, Birdman. That's true, Birdman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Anderson. Yeah. yeah, he won Best Picture. He, he, if he had won Best Picture, I'd have been happier with that choice. But the real game of the night, I don't know, Blankies right now are screaming because I, I get, I'm going to get into the yeah, most- the final I'm was a little the, boring. I'm going to get into the most film nerd thing you've ever oh, had in this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to so, do it, guys. let us don't revel worry. in the big three for just a moment. Yeah. The game of the night, Who's though- Who's the third guy on the team? On, on power? Yeah. I don't even know. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, they have six guys per team, but uh, Quentin Richardson, that was the other, that was the third big was guy. Gatino Mobley? Gatino Mobley Jesus was on that team. Corey Maggetti? Right. Corey Maggetti? Never yeah. even heard of these guys. I'm the biggest basket nut <laughs> in the world. Are you? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, weird, the weirdest part is that their opponent was called Three's Company. Most of the teams have a three pun in their name. Because it's Thomas Suzanne Summers was on the team. <laughs> And and their logo, Norman okay, Fell. They're called Three's Company. Their yeah. logo is a factory. I don't know why. Because it's a company. It should have been I corporate guess. offices more, I, right? But it's so weird. Yeah. Okay. Who's on the but team? The game of the night. You're not going to know anyone Drew on Three's Company. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, none of them were in Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. This is disgusting. The only, I, I know all 10 basketball players who have been in movies since <laughs> Nate Robinson. 1991. Nate, Nate Robinson, Robinson was there at the big three game. What was Nate Robinson's book? He's in Uncle Drew. He plays the guy in the oh, wheelchair. I saw oh, him. also, well, we don't deal with that. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> what? Uh, what's uh, Laura Dern? Uh, oh, uh, uh, Baron Davis. Baron Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this who Laura Dern's Dan- Yeah. Oh, baby. Yeah. But, anyways, the game of the night was the, 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 um, Battle for third place. Right. The third place playoff between the three headed monsters and Tri State. Tri State. Really, like, it really just failed them reaching me. Like, what's another three thing? Tri State? Okay. Okay. But it was so much fun. And the game winning shot was had by Mahmoud Abdul Raouf, yes. who was previously known as Chris Jackson NBA. Yes. He is currently 50 years old wow. and is still lighting guys up. It was this so much true. fun. Yes. It was awesome. He has gray hair. 
It is crazy. It was cool. JD and I hung out. Yeah. We saw the big three championship. We, we saw Ice Cube perform. Yeah. Uh, we saw, we saw Happy Time Murders, which was really good in terms of like breathing exercises because we were sighing constantly. <laughs> yeah, our oxygen intake was like very regulated throughout the movie. It was very much like David and I. Our friendship we'd go and see a big three game. We're sure. NBA players. Our friendship is we'd go and see Happy Time Murders. No, like, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. B- I mean, Billy- I think our friendship is also that we go see Happy Time Murders, but yes. We'd probably go see something else. Yeah, but I'll say uh, there is, and it's not exclusively, but the majority of movies that you and I have seen together are movies where it's like, we need to see this together so that we can have the very specific, incredibly long discussion afterwards. Yeah, monocomina. Right, and Billy Lynn falls into this. Yes. Where we were overdue to like hang out and see a movie, and I said, do you want to see Billy Lynn's long halftime walk? And you said, I don't know what that is. Tell me what it is. And I told you about the technology, and you were like, that sounds weird. And I was like, yeah, Ang Lee. And you were like, wait, Ang Lee directed this? Which speaks to how much this movie was kind of like ignored and shrugged off. 100%. And I said to you, he's broken all these technological barriers. The movie's gotten trashed. They only set up five screens. Like not even five theaters, but there were five screens in the entire planet that were capable of projecting the movie in the way he intended. And at the point that I suggested we go see it, it was down to two. Yes, and it was... It was now the only the screen five, in North America that was There playing. was only ever one screen. Oh, no, there were two. LA right. was playing it for a week. Because the Arclight Hollywood right. and AMC Lincoln Square could right. handle Which it. Which is where we saw it. There's and also, on a smaller screen at the Lincoln Square. And then there were also... Yes. Well, you can't, you can't do this on a big screen. Yeah, yeah. In fact, they have, they, have, they have to get rid of the first, like, five rows of the theater because the technology doesn't work. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get so into it. What were you going to say? Uh, also, screens in Taipei, Beijing, Beijing and Shanghai. Yes. Those are the five places on right. Earth it you only can see played this movie. in two continents. Projected yeah. in uh, 120 frames per second. Yes. Yes. And I know that I'm going to sound like um, a, a one-trick pony with what I appreciate in films, but something that I want to set the stage for what I think is amazing about this film is... We sat down in that theater. Mm-hmm. Um, it was half full, maybe. Yeah, we saw like a late, like a Sunday night 10 p.m. showing or something right. weird like that. But still, there wasn't many people in it. Yeah. The moment the first shot of this movie came on screen, yeah. the reaction of the audience was... Patented JD explains a theater yeah. reaction. Yeah. But this is what it's about. Okay, it was what? Ugh. Shot comes on. Yeah. Oh. People, people have reactions like, oof. And then there's giggles. Yeah. Oh, no. And... Light applause. Yeah. Okay. Because people are like, what am What's I experiencing with my eyes What's right now? What's the first shot of the movie, too? First shot. Him reaching to grab his cell phone from his nightstand table. It's a oh, nightstand. Yes. Which is like 3D, 120 frames yes. per second yeah, was yeah. the most aggressive thing we'd ever yeah. seen. Like, uh, it, it felt like like having your personal space violated. <laughs> um, I'll say this, too. The makeup of JD literally has four pages of typed notes. Uh, stapled together with also handwritten addendums on it. So th- there's one quote that I want to start with from uh, Sony released this like 40 page PDF. I, I just want to say this one thing before yes, you get to the it. quote. Because the other thing I found interesting about the Make of Our Theater, we saw it in, and David, you saw it at the New York Film Festival. I saw it at the New York night, Film Festival. Where they it were, opened the New York Film Festival. I saw it at a press screening, not at like the premiere. Right. Attempting to project it in the perfect format, and it was a little bit off. You still saw it more It certainly looked crazy to, to me, yeah. But it is this insane thing as we're talking about this movie is like very few people in the world got to ever see it the way he intended. And on home video, it will never be replicated in the same way. No. And it was released a month later, and I saw it again at the Sony screening room in 2D regular because yeah. I remember you saw him where it like told me screen. like it's not very good and I right. said is there any chance the technology is so distracting that you didn't 
realized the movie was great because I so badly wanted this sure, movie to be right, great. Right, right, right. Well, you are all in on the Vin Diesel of it all. And the Steve Martin of it all. Sure. If you go like Griffin, like pick your three actors you want to be rehabilitated by Ang Lee. Sure. Reclaimed as serious like character actors. It was Steve Martin, Vin Diesel, and I even feel Kristen Stewart's reputation was less yeah, sterling than it was, is now. She was at the beginning of her sort of reclamation project. But I, I was amped by it. I thought it was like a great story for a movie. I got excited when I read the synopsis and all of that. Um, but the theater we saw it in, I think the makeup seemed to be, you know, half full, half like Chinese college students. Yes. Which you realize like, oh, he really is sort of an important, important cultural figure. Yeah. As just like the most prominent, you know, Asian American artist. Yep. In this medium, at the very least. This movie made almost all of its money in China. Right. Yeah. Right. So it was a lot of, like, native Chinese-speaking college students or 20-somethings. Yeah. And then the other half of the theater was, like, people who worked in film. Yeah, Like, sure. I recognized a lot of people, like, oh, wasn't that guy, like, a sound guy on, like, a college humor shoot I did five years ago? <laughs> like, packed together people who were just talking about onset experiences. Because yes. I was eavesdropping, and that was, the whole makeup was just, like, Chinese college students who were, like, this guy's important, we have to support him. And film crew people who are like, I need to see what the fuck this is. Just to break it down, this movie made $23.7 million in China. Insane. $3.2 million in Taiwan and $1.7 million in the United and States. And was released wide here. It was. was yeah. Not super $40 wide, million wide. Dollar project. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing is that after I saw it, I think I went on a tirade of just any person that was a film fanatic. Yes. I was like... Check it out. You have it's to crazy. just You go. made at least you 10 people to. go see it because people yes. would come back to me and be like, here's, so J.D. made me see Bill yeah. Will anyone ever see it in that again? I have. Because it's such an ignored movie. Like, what, yes. when, I guess maybe one day, but like, who's going to go to the fucking effort of setting up the that's, projection? That's the thing. Because yeah. you even go like, okay, let's say like the Museum of Moving Image. Right, you know, they wanted can't do to it. Do, right. Maybe one day they'll be able to. I don't you know. But it's literally like you would convert your entire theater for one movie. Right. It's, yes. it's not worth the conversion cost. Right. Yes. So I, I believe, so here's, here's what the, 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 sub, the context of all the stuff that I want to talk about yeah. is, is that this film uses technology. So basically, I don't think we've said it yet. It's 120 frames per second. Correct. Right. 4K stereoscopic. So it's yes. 3D. Right. Okay. Uh -huh. Films Which, are usually shot in 24 frames per second. I'm going to get all into it. I know it. you are. Yeah, but just, like, here, yeah. here's, here's the picture that I always say. I'm sure this people very mostly cleanly. know that. But. 24 is what people are used to. Peter Jackson released the first Hobbit in 48, and people went, fuck this it looks too like much. That's garbage. what I always say. I go, I go, I go. When people, when he released the Hobbit in 48 frames, people were like, this is crazy. This is 120 right. frames. Ang Lee went 2.5 times more than what Peter Jackson had done, which was two times more than what we were used to. And people hated that. And so, he did it for a movie that's mostly just set in the bleachers at a stadium. A drama about a traumatized guy man? who's introverted. No. Yeah. Ben's been going through that's okay. Through, going Here, through a lot. Here's what I want to say. Ben's been going through his own halftime walk. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I we're, we're not even more. at halftime yet. Yeah. I think. Here's, well, here's, here's what I want to say, though. <laughs> I think it's okay to not watch this movie unless you're Unless you're able to see it in 120 frames per second, 4K 3D. Uh -huh. Now, what if you can watch like the 4K uh, disc? I think no. Okay. Wow. So I think no. I, I got the combo pack, which is... I got the combo pack. I paid like $20 for this. I got it on sale. I know. What? I got it on sale. I've been, I've been watching the prices. I've been riding the prices for months because I, I knew we were getting to this episode. I was hoping it would be Because that's one of those things where Amazon's like... Uh, you want that? You're gonna have to pay. Like no one wants that. No, you know I, what I mean. Like it's not like uh, Amazon did a sale where it was like if you bought 
three 4K uh, UHD movies. They were each like $15. Still a lot, though. Yeah, but I got Would, Furious 7 and King Kong. <sighs> King Kong? I love King Kong, baby. The, the Jackson yeah, King Kong? Yeah, get ready for that app. Yeah, that's going to be a good app. Yeah. That's going to be a good app. Maybe which, I'll turn which around isn't that me movie. saying that we have this on the books, no, but I'm but saying like, this is why we I'm do constantly it, pushing whenever David to we do, do it. No, no, I mean to me that watch out for the Hobbit, uh, the third Hobbit app, because right. that's when David's gonna. I'm locked and loaded for that one, baby. That movie's good. Yeah. See, this is why we gotta do Jackson because it's the combination of every type of miniseries we've done so far. It goes into the we'll chaos of day. the Star we'll Wars. We'll do them one day. Yeah. As a personality, three will be your Matrix Reloaded. My problem with him is as a he. It's not that good, but yeah. As a personality, Jackson's not that interesting. He's like a sort of an avuncular guy. You know what I mean? Uh, sure, but I mean, his career starts out with what is clearly now the first best puppet fucking movie of all time. <laughs> Definitively. I also, I, that's, I grew up in the horror movie section yeah. of the, my local uh, video store, Video Adventure, and boy, oh boy, did, did we love Peter Jackson back in the day before he was the Peter Jackson of, of now. Yes. And he was known for making the good... I mean, the weirdest, dead, most dead, transgressive. Dead Alive right. is the goriest, most violent film yes. of all time. Quite right. funny, though. I mean, hilarious and bizarre. And when you're, you know, 12 and you want to have jaw-dropping, insane yeah. gore, it's interesting. I don't think I could sit through it now just as an adult. But boy, oh boy, is that movie wild. Um, just to say this, though, because uh, presuming that Blankies have watch this movie in preparation for this episode. Yeah. The ways it is available to watch now are on this compact 4K UHD 60 frames per second. So you're still only getting half of what you saw in theater, right. but it's closer to the experience of what the high frame rate looks like. It looks That's weird. 2D. Yeah. Then there is a normal frame rate 1080p 3D Blu-ray. Which is what you watched, Which right? is what I watched in preparation for this. And then there is just the standard high def 2K 24 frames per second, which if you're watching it on any streaming platform, if you're buying it, if you're renting it, that's probably what you're seeing. Okay, so well, I have a question. there's the Ben experience. And I, I, it might be setting that. you up. Yes. It might and be the best way to watch it. too soon, but I don't know what anything you just said yes. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Am I, I going to get into I it? I have no idea what any of that ben, is. Here, so here's what's going to happen. You just in invited a vampire inside <laughs> your home. <laughs> oh, here God. we go. I'm so jazzed. <laughs> Here's what here's what's gonna happen. <laughs> My friend, Lord Dracula. I, God, I love talking about movies so much. Like, this stuff gets me so jazzed. Blanket. Thank it. Um, I I want to talk about how cameras work, and I want to explain <laughs> the brass tacks of it because there's a lot of people like myself, even even coming through film school, where you understand the ideas of it, but there's certain words and phrases that are thrown around and you sort of feel embarrassed to admit you don't know what they are. And sometimes when you look that stuff up, it's sort of circular because it all leans on each other. So what I want to do is I want to explain how cameras work and I want you guys to sort of be the audience surrogates to sure. keep, keep me to making it understandable. You're saying and, it's it's the thing where you know how to use a word, but you don't know how to define it? Yes, or, right. or it's the kind of thing that there might be one word that you don't know. And I might be saying this and people listening will be like, I know all of this, but just... Let's refresh ourselves because when we get into the technology of it, what they did was so advanced that you need to have this base knowledge to really understand it. Cool. And I promise there's no aspect of that. This is just like, I just want to ramble with this stuff. I Do think it. this is legitimately important. Talk about it. So first I want to start with, uh, so Sony released this 40 page PDF, which is fascinating to read about the making of uh, Billy Lynn. There's two amazing quotes in the whole thing because um, Ang Lee and John Toll, mm -hmm. John Toll's cinematographer that did this, 
from from the get go. One of the best living cinematographers. Yes, famous yeah. Oscar winning, uh, uh, two time back to back actually Oscar winning. What he went for Braveheart. Braveheart is the second. And what was the first one? Legends of the Fall, a gorgeous movie. Oh yeah, wow. not a good movie, but yeah. a gorgeous movie. Uh, but shot also, Thin Red Line, which is one of those beautiful shot the looking Thin Red of Line, which is an incredible looking movie. Shot right. Tropic Thunder because Ben Stiller wanted Tropic Thunder to look like Thin Red Line. Shot, shot, right. He has a weird career because it's that yeah, it's Tropic Thunder, but like Gone Baby Gone. Like I feel like people often hire yeah. him when they're like you know like a Ben Affleck where he's like I know you're a good cinematographer, sure. so just make my first movie look beautiful. He shot Cloud Atlas, right? He shot yes. Iron Man three, right? He shot Jupiter Ascending. And what's the most important made. movie that he ever shot? Actually, no, there's two. One we've already covered and one we're about to. One we've already covered, one we're about one to. One of them is my least favorite film we've ever covered. Elizabeth's Town? Correct. And one we are about to cover. Did he shoot a Nancy? He did. We're about to cover it. Not the parent trap. We're about to cover it. It's complicated? Correct. You're talking the actual timeline yeah, of when yeah, we're yeah. recording. Sure. And, and John Toll had he had no experience shooting 3D before this. That's interesting. Had, had, he shot digital before, right? Yes, and because yeah, okay. like Iron Man three, I'm sure that was digital, right. like things like that. And so, anyways, there's this 40 page PDF that's about the, the the making of this whole thing that is fascinating to read, and it gets so deep into the technical side of right. things. But there is these two quotes in it that I think are fascinating, right? Because his other 3D movies were all post converted. Yes, he wasn't involved at all on set in terms of thinking stereoscopically. Yes, and. Right. I'm trying to think of was Cloud at were, were uh, Jupiter Ascending and Iron Man three both were like post converted. Yes, I don't think any of them were. Yeah, shot seriously, which I'll explain yeah. why that's such a, a crazy process. But there's yeah. two quotes that I think are apropos to this whole thing. Number one, uh, rather than try to make digital look like the last 100 years of film, why don't we start exploring and try to find the aesthetic and look of the digital age? And then in trying to describe the look and feel of this, he says. There's no need to discuss it. It can't be described in words. It's not a verbal experience. You can see it, whether you like it or not. It functions at a different level than movies you're used to seeing. And that's something I want to say. That's true. It's true. Empirically true. We're going to try to explain it here. It's going to be almost impossible for you to truly understand what it's like. because It's going to be like us telling you like a ghost story. Because truly. It's hard to believe if you haven't seen it yourself. <laughs> they would have these meetings while they shot the film where they would get all, they would, Shoot dailies. Also, they couldn't even screen the dailies at 120 mm-hmm. frames per second. Sure. Which I'll explain what all that means in a second. They had to do it at 60 frames a second. Uh-huh. And all the, the, the heads of departments would sit there and watch it. And then uh, Ang Lee described that like you'd literally see like the face, their faces sink. Oh, because they would be like, this is changing the entire language of film. And what we know about our jobs doesn't make sense anymore. And we have to relearn it. So like both Ang Lee and John Toy are like, it was like going back to film school. The language of film totally changed, and we were out there trying to figure out how this worked. And they even admit some of the stuff was not successful, or mm-hmm. some of the stuff was out of their control. Mm-hmm. And boy, oh boy, was an interesting thing. But they had to learn on the fly how to do all this. I mean, stuff. that's the most interesting thing about this movie is you see guys rewriting the language of filmmaking in a way that uh, kind of fucks with every other aspect of filmmaking that had been perfected up until that point. And the like experience like, it. Of makes it. performances worse. It makes costumes worse. Well, they could make, use makeup. It, it doesn't make makeup. It, I, I'd argue it doesn't make to, them worse uh, as much yeah. as it shows them for what they truly are. Sure. Mm, we'll talk about it. Which but, uh, is, yes. But um, also, I, here are some questions I have from what I vaguely remember. Mm-hmm. Like, the camera's very large, right? Yes. Here, it makes a lot of noise, right? Yes. So you can't hear what you're saying. Well, or actors like struggled to hear what they were saying. 
and you can't do a lot of takes because you just like so they did like use up film really three fast, takes most right? well no it's it's so difficult with the lighting and the focus no, and right right to right do right. multiple takes right? Let, I'm let, just these yeah, are all yeah, I remember hearing access. that these were hindrances yes. in the filmmaking process hundred percent and I want to address all of those mm-hmm. here Ben I'm gonna give you this first just hold on to this for a second what the fuck just is going on. on he just handed Ben an envelope just hold but on let me just say God. for anyone who hasn't watched the movie and is just listening to this episode because they're they're a JD fan right sure and they know what this episode's gonna entail before we get into the technical nitty-gritty of this I want to just explain in a one sentence way what this technology yes. is applied to this movie is about a, a Bravo squadron, right? Yep. A Correct. group of heroes in the Iraq War in 2003. Correct. Uh, it's uh, 2004. The so, film is set in 2004. Okay. Yeah. Right, right. Early in the Iraq War. They're fighting in 2003. This is Super Bowl 2004. It, it's, it, it's not the Super Bowl. It's, oh, it's a not? Thanksgiving game. Yeah. Yes. Interesting, because it's yeah. based on a Super Bowl performance, right? I mean, this is obviously fictionalized. Kind of. It, it, the, it, but the, it's based, this is I'm based saying, on didn't it. didn't Destiny Child actually do the Super Bowl in 2004? I don't think so. No, they weren't big enough for that. Let's look up who did performed at Super Bowl 38, which was, of course, between the Carolina Panthers and the New England Patriots. Did you do that from memory? No. Beyonce sang the national anthem, but the halftime show is, I believe, the notorious halftime show where Janet Jackson's uh, breast is exposed by Justin Timberlake. Yes. So it was like a weird medley where like Jessica Simpson did something and they sure. did something, you know, like, so whatever. Anyway. And he was going to have a snake by the end of the song. The point being, it's a big, it's a big football game. It's a big football game. This is game. just a, a, the Thanksgiving game right. in Dallas. Like, yeah, a big football game. It's going to have a halftime squadron's show. Squadron's yeah. gone viral for their heroism mm-hmm. through a cell phone video. And now they're being brought out at the halftime show in this sort of like tribute to patriotism yes. and our wartime heroes. And the lead character, Billy Lynn, is the super introverted, internalized dude right. who's quietly sort of crumbling from PTSD yes. in this super overwhelming set of circumstances. And it takes place all, all over this one day where they're about to be feted. Yes. And the next morning they were going to be It basically takes redeployed. place over like four hours. Right. And right. So it's this one day where they're treated like heroes before they're just going to be sent back into the they're ship. They're going to be sent back. And there is there are subplots running such as like Chris Tucker plays a PR person who's trying to sell their story and make them some money. Right. Kristen Stewart plays Billy's sister who's trying to convince him not to return to war to she's get an honorable discharge. She's the reason he went he got in a, enlisted well, he in the first place, but she's later. now the anti-war figure. And All then you also the, have... Vinny Diesel. Vin Diesel plays the shirted the entire sergeant. film, so you know this is a supporting role for him. It's not a Vin Diesel film. It's him. True. He's a company player. True. Who is the 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 person that from their squad that they lost in combat? So right. they're mourning him. This is all based on a novel written by Ben Fountain in 2012, mm-hmm. and Ben Fountain is is like he's not. It was his first novel, like. Yeah. He's like a short story writer, I guess. And it was a well-regarded like novel, but it's not like a it's bestseller. It's an acidically satirical novel that right. was well-regarded. The movie was written by James Seamus's assistant, who was an associate producer on Life of Pi. That's just stuff you need to know. Sure. Uh, and that, but that's a big thing is the novel is uh, mostly his internal monologue and is about the contrast between what yeah. Billy Lynn's seeing around him and his commentary on how much bullshit is around him. It's him sort of calling out the hypocrisy of the right. entire it's situation. It's a movie about, right, the hypocrisy of the Iraq war. The movie is now a kid who barely speaks. And the, the reason Joe this, Alwyn, uh, right out of drama yeah. school, Taylor Swift's boyfriend now. I graduated two days earlier, mm-hmm. right. And then it's got Garrett Hedlund, Steve Martin, Vin Diesel, Kristen Stewart, Chris Tucker. Wildcast. 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 So that's the story that he applied all this state of the art technology. To. And the idea of that being that 
there's that uh, a lot of uh, war veterans will mm-hmm. talk about that hyper real feeling of coming back and feeling both removed and too present in their environment. Yes. And so this technology that yes. definitely was, creates that feeling, the, yeah. the thought was that could be an interesting way right. to reflect it is this. It's being artistically deployed. It's yes. not just like, well, let's try it. You yeah. know, like there's, there's, there is a thematic purpose to the, the high frame rate. But also after Life of Pi, he got so interested in continuing to push boundaries. He wanted to make this, uh, what is it, Muhammad Ali? Yes. Yeah, he wanted to throw him in the George Foreman movie. movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, which I believe he still sort of like has on the back burner. Right, like, yeah, that's they, not They dead. shot test footage for that. Yeah. Right, yeah. and that was when he started experimenting with all this because he thought that upping the frame rate would help shooting boxing, not having to go in slow motion, actually having the impact of, of the punches in real time, you know, being able to show it in a way that was never actually able to be captured on camera before. And that movie just kept on getting slowed down and he decided to apply a lot of those sort of breakthroughs he'd been working on to this film. Yeah, yes. Angley has a whole theory that uh, he believes that action is shot in slow motion because frame rates are not capable of actually yeah. per- portraying it blurs. action. Yes. Now, All right. I, I just know that like I, a thing I'd heard people work on this movie say is that the goal was to make the movie feel like you're having a panic attack. Right. And I, and I know, like that idea. And I will say, like, as someone who has the weird crispness yeah, of like everything, I, yeah. you know, all three of us, all four of us sure. in this room have had our battles with anxiety sure. and, and weird mental fogginess and all that sort of stuff. I know when I'm in an insane state of anxiety, this is kind of how the world looks to me. Yes. It's that insane thing where I feel super overstimulated. Movement feels really overwhelming and I can't stop focus on everything all the time. Yes. And so at a certain degree on paper, you're like, this sounds unbelievable. But it's also really fascinating that the movie doesn't feel very subjective in a way where you're like, this is how things look to him. Yes. It's like you're watching him in his environment and watching him is overwhelming. So, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Let's get into the tech of it because yes. I, okay. I truly you do the tech of it. I truly believe that you don't have to do any more preambles. Just I get truly into believe it. it will help contextualize yes. this oh, conversation. Yes. No yeah. more preambles. Okay. So, how much do you guys know about how cameras work and all this stuff? No, just go for it. Fair amount. Question. Pitiful next to you. Sure, sure. Right. Got yeah, it. Just, just no. Talk. I just want. I, yeah. So, assume little because you know we're talking to our listeners as well. Got it. So, Not that they don't know anything. But I want to try to explain this in a clear way. So feel free to Manuel ask questions. Manuel listens to every episode. He does. That's he why does. I have Chief all these notes that's trying to organize the best way to describe it because it's mm-hmm. a little complicated. It just folds in on itself. Okay, so first, the way you think about all cameras is you're trying to control light. And there's three big questions that you are trying to determine is how long, so you got, you got film, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure out how long light hits our film, which light hits our film, and how much that light hits our film. Those are the three elements that cameras are trying to control. Sure. So starting with film, we know film, it's a piece of plastic that has gelatin and chemicals on it. Silver halide is the chemical. The idea is that this is a chemical that when light hits it, it reacts. Um, an interesting property of it is that you can have chemical that is more or less sensitive to light. The more sensitive to light it is, uh, the grainier the chemical is going to be. Uh, and we measure that through a term called ISO or ASA. Mm-hmm. ISO is the term we use. So basically, um, if a film is uh, really sensitive to light, it'll have a high ISO. If it's not that sensitive to light, it'll have a low ISO. The way ISOs work is like you have 100, 200, 400, 800. 200 ISO film is twice as sensitive as 100 ISO film. Sure. 400 ISO so we, film, you know, twice. Right. That's the idea of That's it. when people talk about high-speed yes. film stock, and that's also why that has sort of been the biggest sort of forward track of film technology is making film stock 
uh, more and more reactive to less and less light. Yes. So you don't have to make everything as blandly and broadly lit. Right. right. And shine a bunch of lights in everything. Yeah. Right. right now, there's a lot of people that are like, yes, but isn't everything digital now? Yes, but I'm going to explain film because how digital works is um, them translating the terms of film and the concepts of film to digital. So start with the, So that's what ISO is. That's sensitivity. You have uh, an ISO rating of stuff. Okay. So. Um, this is like a symphony orchestra you're setting up. Like that's your violin player, like warming up in the corner. It all comes into play in this movie. Oh yeah. Okay. So, um, how long light hits our film? Okay. That's that's an important aspect of all of this. So we we all know 24 frames per second is how how movies work for the most part. That is, you're taking 24 pictures a second, and the way the film works is that you have a, a, an individual cell uh, in your camera. Uh, you cover up a cell of it, uh, a cell of this thing. You uncover it to expose it to light and then you cover it back up and you cover it back up then you move the film to the next frame you uncover it you cover it back up 24 frames a second is you're doing that 24 times that's that's uh sort of what the clicking noise is is that frame moving so you would think that means that um a 24 frame second film each film is being exposed for a 24th of a second that's not correct though because Philistines. Because, as you can imagine, for part of that time, you're covering up the film to move sure. it to the next frame. Because if you're just moving it, it's going to smear. Like when you do a long exposure, you know those photos where it's like someone holding a flashlight and moving it, and it's like they're able to write with light in the sky? Right, right, right. That's right, what right, would happen right. if you're moving the film without covering it up. So you cover it up with something that's called a shutter. And a shutter, think of like a record, a spinning record, okay? Mm-hmm. Or like a pizza, okay? Something round. Something round. <laughs> it spins. Okay, and you take pizza slices away. Okay. So let's say we take half the pizza slices away. That means we have a half circle that's spinning. When that half circle is not covering the film, that's being exposed. When sure, it covers sure, it, it's being sure, covered. Sure. Now, if we take half the slices away, we have 180 degrees. That is a, a window that's 180 degrees. That's called the 180-degree shutter. If we only take uh, one pizza slice away, that's 30 degrees. That's called a 30-degree shutter. And the effect that this has is you're more or less smearing that image, right? So when you think of like films where people get super high or like stuff like that, where it's like things are warping and sort of moving and smearing, that's when you have a wide shutter angle, aka like more than 180 degrees. When more, you think of like- a pizza. Is stuff crust industry standard though? Or? Yes, stuff okay. crust industry okay. standard. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, just, it just helps to spin a little bit more. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, when you have a narrow window, like uh, that's uh, called a, a low shutter angle, and that's something like in Saving Private Ryan when like bombs hit and it feels all like choppy and really sharp. That's a low shutter angle. So when it's kind of that. Um, uh, what what am I looking for? When it feels almost strobe light. Yeah. When it, feel, terms of, when it feels like a strobe yeah. a, a strobe light yeah. sort of thing going off. That's because you're not seeing motion blur, which is what it's called when motion smears across the screen. Okay. So that's shutter angle. Whenever you hear shutter angle, that's all your that's all it is. Is how big how many pizza slices you're taking away from the spinning disc. Now, okay. the thing I just want to butt in and say, because this is always the thing I find most interesting about the entire history of film, is that 24 frames per second being the standard was kind of an arbitrary decision. Oh, boy, am I going to get into this. Okay. But it then becomes the language that all of us get used to <laughs> in terms of how any filmed media looks. Yes. 24 frames per second. It's like a refrain. Right. It's not based on the way we see. It's based on the technical limitations of the time. And then that becomes the language for the next century. Exactly. Uh, but. That I'm going to get into the physics of stuff okay. because there's a reason why 24 frames gets into it. Okay, so we so under, now we have a cello. So far, player. we know we know we know how this works. We cello got our frames per second, which okay. is how many pictures we're taking per second is frames per second. 
and our shutter angle is how long in that sure. in that frame that it's being exposed. Okay, so now we have to figure out what light reaches our film, and that's where lenses come in. Lenses are just pieces of glass, concave, convex, sure. that are taking light and refract it, refracting it into uh, your film or whatever your motion sen- your your image sensor, anything that is. Okay, um, long lenses are. Uh, when you zoom in on something, when you're seeing a small area, wide lenses are when you're seeing a lot. Um, we call wide lenses short lenses because the glass is closer together and the lens is physically shorter. Um, so, uh, page, page two. two. Page two. <laughs> so, now we get into focus. The way lenses work is that, yeah, I know, I'm flipping through my camera lenses. Mm-hmm. The way focus works is uh, this light that's reflecting through the lenses based on how the curvature of the glass. There's a point in front of your lens where things are in focus. They are as, as sharp as possible. And from that point, okay, things that are closer to the camera or farther the camera go less out of focus. Your depth of field. That's depth Hells, of field. Yeah, Ben. Ben's doing guitar solo. And so a wide depth of field is when everything's in focus. And a narrow depth of field, the shallow depth of field, is when only a really small plane is in focus. So an example is when you see in a movie, they pull focus. Yes. It's like wide, and then they zero in on an object or a person. Exactly. Yeah, and, and the most, like, you know, base way of describing it is how much of the background is in focus around whatever the central focal point of the shot is. Exactly. And depth of field is really important because it determines all of your focus and everything that you're seeing in the frame. And there's a couple things that affect your depth of field. First and foremost is the length of your lens. A longer lens, a zoom, you know, a, a long lens where you're zoomed in, that's going to have a shallower depth of field. Right. So that that's like when you see like a close-up of a tear going down someone's cheek and the tear is in focus, and but their even their, eye, not, their yeah, cheek right, is yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's shallow depth of field, long lens. When you have a short lens, wide angle, there is a much wider depth of field, okay? And that's why when you like shoot it, uh, like a landscape, you can see mountains in the distance are all in focus because when you're wide, the focus can go on to infinity. Okay? And Ang Lee tends to be a sort of long lens kind of guy. Like Brokeback Mountain is a movie that's Gorgeous. all like long lens photography well, because you're seeing them in their landscapes. You had to get Steve Coogan's totally entire performance exactly. in shot. Right, right. Yes. okay. We've set up in an episode that Steve Coogan played the mountain. Go on, J.D. <laughs> Uh, set up the truth? Yeah. yeah I mean, right. yes, we have set up the truth. Right. Another element that determines your depth of field is how close your sub- subject is to the camera. So the farther away your subject is, the bigger your depth of field is going to be, wherever your focus plane is. And the closer your subject is to the lens, the shallower your depth of field is going to be. Again, think of shooting mountains versus shooting someone close up, tears going down their face. Um, and also uh, another way to think of wide-angle lenses, like think of like Terry Gilliam. Um, He'll shoot a close-up with a wide-angle lens sometimes, and more things will be in focus um, because he's a wide lens, and he's, but he's moving it physically closer. So anyways, there's another element that affects your depth of field, Ben. That's your aperture. Your aperture is... Here's the drum player now. Yes. This is the intensity, how much light you're letting get to your film. The aperture is like, think of it like a, sci- a, a sci-fi space door. It's a bunch of blades that form a circle. Butthole. You can make the... David. David. Sorry. David. David, we're in cinema Steve right now. Steve played the mountain in Brokeback Mountain. It's not crust pizza. Just trying to keep it light here. You redeemed yourself. You can make that circle small, or you can make that circle big, and that's okay, your that aperture. Okay, that is like a butthole. Actually. Okay, yeah, that's I mean, sort of like a butthole. Kind of like a butthole. Um, think about it. Obviously, if that circle is small, less light's getting through. If you're making the circle big, more light's getting through. We measure that with something called F-stops. Yeah. The lower the F-stop number, the bigger the circle. So F-stop of one is 
consider or there can be a little bit more depending all the way open we call it all the way open mm-hmm. and then you have one 1.4 two 2.8 four 5.6 etc etc and that should, we should make it clear that this definition of, of f-stop is very different than ben's definition of f-stop which is a place where you can stop and fuck <laughs> You yes. want to pull over? I've got an F-stop over here. I know I, 20 more miles to an F-stop. What do you say? <laughs> I vetted out an F-stop. It's oh, no. five minutes away. But something to keep in mind is that the bigger your aperture is, the w- wider open it is, the shallower your depth of field is. And the smaller your aperture is, the more your depth of field is. That's why like a pinhole camera, everything's in focus, is because you have a really small, narrow uh, aperture. Okay, so those are the m- major elements of how film works well wouldn't you say that the f-stop changing that and the judging how you're going to shoot something it's like coolness versus like blown out and like it being like really like really high contrast looking and isn't yeah. that kind of play into well it so as well? your f-stop doesn't necessarily affect your contrast too much but what it does is it, it determines how much light is hitting it so what, that's why you have light meters things like that and you're trying to expose so that everything looks at the right exposure not too bright not too dark but what you're talking about ben when people sort of take strong stylistic choices like that that's very often a byproduct of people applying the quote-unquote wrong method for that type of shot yes like what jd was saying about like shooting close-ups and like you know wide lenses like the coen brothers do or barry sonnenfeld does where it's like that weird distorted hyper real kind of thing right it's like going up a few stops yes what they say right Right. yes exactly um so now to talk about billy lynn now that you understand that those concepts of how that all works. Just hit an hour. <laughs> it's good. We're doing great. We can cut out the big three stuff. We're on page three. This is, you know, this episode is titled 12 hour walk, right? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's what I, here's what I, here's what I would argue. I think it's more important to talk about the tech than is to talk about the plot. A hundred percent. So, cause we could burn through the plot in 10 minutes. Plot. Yeah, I mean, right. shrug. Yeah. So 120 frames per second. That is an insane endeavor because it is again, Way way higher frame rate than anything you ever see. So the in. camera spins around 120. The fucking you know, there's 120 pictures with the pizza per second. Well, so now we're in digital. In digital, Uh-oh, there's not actually <laughs> in digital. There's not actually a spinning pizza. But that you was c- funny. Everyone should be on the floor right now. Okay. Now sorry, we're adding ahead. our horn section. So here comes <laughs> the bassoon. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, digital. It's digital film. You're right. Yes. Right. Right. This is okay. not celluloid. So you don't have to worry about that mechanics now. Sure. Okay, so now I'm going to get into... Ah, fuck. What's the best order of operations to oh do this God. stuff? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Ben, I'm you should probably the- mark this episode as explicit just because <laughs> genuinely a lot of people are going to use this as masturbation material. Oh, there God. are so many blankies who like just fully get off on you explaining things in this detail. But this is... I, I, here's, I'm I, not joking. I'm curious what people you think, People are going to jerk off to this, and that's cool. I believe that if... Because there's a lot of blankies It's that, cool. There's a lot of blankies that are a film critics, amateur mm-hmm. film critics, sure, things like that. Sure, yeah. I believe that understanding the technology is important to being no, a I think, I think it is. You can't let it, speaking as a film critic, you know, you can't let it overwhelm your writing or your right. thought process because that's not, for one, what your readers really want. And for two, you know, there's more things going. But you should, yes, the more you understand, the better, obviously. You can tell the best critics are the people who have an understanding of how all the different aspects actually sure. work rather than just looking at the final product. Yeah. Yeah. And for all this stuff, I'm trying to explain it as simply as possible. So there's some super nerds that might know that I'm avoiding some details or maybe simple, simplifying something. Like sort of toppings on the pizza. Yes. So here's here's some crazy shit we're going to get into. 
Or pizza in the butthole. The way film works, and this is now getting to Billy Lynn stuff. This is we can get out. We're out of the film school stuff now. This is me getting into what's crazy about Billy Lynn. We're walking the walk. The way film walking the walk twenty eighteen. The way film works. People often say uh, what allows a bunch of series of still images to create uh, the uh, illusion of motion is something called persistence of vision, which is the idea that like if you right now wave your hand in front of your face you see that your finger, that the image of your fingers is blurring. And that's considered persistence of vision, which is that um, the image sort of smears in your retina and in your brain. And so um, it, that, that helps you determine what, in what direction things are going, how motion's working. Okay. That's not true. That is oh not God. what dictates motion. That's not what makes cinema works. So now I'm going to get into some crazy stuff. So there's a bunch of these experiments <laughs> that prove that this is not how it works. Here because comes the Maraca section. Oh my God. <laughs> David, you can't, oh my God, this, this is, well, no, if there's I, one podcast you to had get into me cinema. with, you're describing how cameras work, but now you're like, now let me upend to you yeah. the thought process. You gotta talk vision, All baby. Right, go on, so on. there's these famous experiments where you take, okay, an image of a red dot. It's not, it's a still image of red dot. No motion blur, nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you take that away and put up another image of a red dot in another location. Okay. If you go between those images, one to the other, one to the other, and you start increasing the pace that you're going between the two, suddenly your brain starts to assume motion between them. Uh-huh. And instead of it being one image of one circle here and another here, your brain goes, that circle is moving from here to here, back and forth, back and forth. And um, in the science experiments, they refer to this in a certain amount of hertz or a certain amount of uh, milliseconds. I've sort of tried to transmutate it into frames per second, okay? Yeah. So- the, the frequency which you do that when you it starts as being still images and then let me get my exact page four yep welcome to the five towers club by the way from zero congrats thank you uh, from zero to five frames per second it's just succession two images then you get to partial movement where you get the sense sensation of things moving slightly and then uh, at around eight between 16 and 18 frames per second which is really interesting you have what's called beta movement Okay. Which is just like these like low testosterone oh my God. sort of cuck movements. Hey, Ben, can you open that envelope? Oh, my gosh. This is like Neil Patrick Harris hosting the Oscars. That's sort of why I did this. Ben is opening the envelope. Uh, what's it say on the front there? Griffin will make a joke about beta movement. <laughs> and just open it up. Fuck. This is amazing. Beta cuck movement. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, the guy knows me. <laughs> We're very good. Oh very god. old friends. Oh my fucking god. I just knew. I just knew. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, <laughs> around... 16 to 18 frames. 1,000 comedy points. Thank that you. really was a tour de force. That was incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, you, gotta, you know people. You know someone, you know them. We started doing improv together. You have beta Ooh. movement, which is interesting. And beta yeah. movement is also called optimal movement. That is the moment at which movement seems the most clear. And what's 18 frames per second, David? Uh, uh, what? I don't know. 18 frames That's the per frame second? rate that silent film started at. Oh, sure. Yes. That was the yes. first time when people were like, oh, this is going to be the frame rate. And that's because it matches up with beta movement, optimal movement. Then something crazy starts to happen. As you increase the movement even further beyond 18 frames per second, yeah. 
you get to something that is called the phi phenomenon. Which what the now? Phi phenomenon. P-H-I. Greek letter. Sure. And that is that your eye stops looking at it going... <laughs> I can't get over the letter. <laughs> Sorry. The letter thing's crazy. What if he hadn't done the joke? I almost didn't say cuck w- either. I did low testosterone, and then I was like, should I put it to bed? You should have like, also written, David will be exasperated by the joke. That would have been the true coup de yeah. grace yeah. if you on had the, also back, gotten yeah. that in. Yeah, right. Uh, just sidebar for one quick second. That's why when people parody like uh, silent film comedies, it's often right. sped people up People move movement. too quickly yes. or whatever. Because it yes, was right. Right, a lower frame rate yes. that now has been converted when we watch it. So you hit this thing called the five phenomenon, which is when your eye starts look, stops thinking that the red dot is moving and starts observing um, the area around the dot is moving uh, theoretically. And that's considered pure motion because you're not observing an object moving. You're observing the idea of motion without a visual cue to it, which is only interesting to me because that starts happening around 30 frames per second, which is when people start to go, how come video looks so weird, which is around sure. 30 frames? Wait, wait. Because, like, that's the was the classic complaint about Hobbit mm-hmm. at 48 was that it looked like a home movie. Quote, yes. Quote, Behind the know? scenes footage. Right. It looked like a soap opera. All the things that people Yes. Throw. Or it looks like you have motion smoothing on your television. Right. right? Which, which, which uh, is a technology yeah. that creates fake frames in between to right. try to which, get rid of any blurriness. Which is a technology designed kind of like for sports, things like that are very yes. fast video moving, video games. Things that people have accepted at high frame rates. Right. And, and, then you buy your TV and like like half the fucking country just like watches movies with motion smoothing on and like doesn't think yeah, about it yeah. and film nerds whatever like fall asleep crying. Go to every the bar and go like, uh, hey, this. can I see your remote for a right, second? Right. And I was in an Airbnb in Alaska and the TV had like I was it was like super motion smooth. I was kind of impressed. Like and I it took me forever to figure out how to turn it off. Well, so here's the thing that's that why motion smoothing is so weird is that what it's actually doing is so. When something's at 24 frames per second, the time between those frames, you know, the image changes, right? Mm-hmm. You're in one position, you're in another position. Your brain has to make up what the movement is between that. And so the more your brain is able to interpolate, add up whatever it wants that it thinks is going on between there, that's what makes it feel sort of um, like uh, that like classic movie feeling because your brain is adding in a lot of the gaps there then the higher the frame rate right, is, right, your right. brain's not adding in gaps. And with motion smoothing, what it's doing is it's not even actually the actual motion. It's a computer trying to guess what the middle is, right. which is slightly off, but your brain can't figure it out. Yeah. But, but it's like the dreamlike quality that is at this point over a century baked into the cake of how we perceive movies and television, yes. what that visual language is at its very core. And for years, like Douglas Trumbull, visual effects, yep. Titan was trying to get the industry to go to 30. Yes. And 30 was viewed as too big of a jump. Right. People won't stand for it. So the fact that like Ang Lee and Peter Jackson started full on multiplying rather than just like slowly adding frames is insane. Right. Because here's, here's, here's the next step of all this, the physics stuff is that I think 30 frames is weird because you're right around this five phenomenon, which this is me totally theorizing the physics of, of, of that being tied. But I think there's something to that. But then once you get above 33 frames per second, you get into like simultaneity, which is basically your eye, if two images are going back and forth, is unable to distinguish one from the other. And as you move up towards infinity, that gives even more just, there's no gap between the images. They're just on top of each other in your eye. So the human eye, for the most part, like um, like the highest that's ever been recorded is like 500 something frames per second, theoretically. But that most- man died. That man, well, it's like Air Force <laughs> he pilots. He watched it back, right, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> well, no, what it they is- They lost is, oxygen. Yeah. What, what it is is that they, they will uh, show someone like a footage and then flash an image for whatever the millisecond is. Mm-hmm. And if they can perceive See it, it yeah. that- so. Most people are actually around 45 or a little, little around there, a little above. So 120 frames per second actually gets us to the point where, for the most part, for most people, it is more frames per second than our eyes and brains can actually process. Can actually process. Uh, and so for us, it just appears as reality. So our brain isn't interpolating anything between the frames because every, all the information is given to it. Which in film and Ang Lee and John told talk about this in really major ways. Want to remove the window was the thing they kept on yes. saying. We want to. Films always had this window between it. It's kind of foggy. We want to remove right. the window and make it look like reality. You're looking what at if, a box on the wall. If the window is good. It's well, that's a, this is so, the central question. Right. So <laughs> here's what's so interesting. I need the window. In most movies, <laughs> you're looking at a box in the wall and yeah. the picture happens to be changing. Right. Once you get above 120 frames per second, especially with stereoscopic 3D, 4K. Uh, and Ang Lee talks about this. It's really interesting. You are not aware of the box anymore. You're looking at the at the film, right, and right, it, right, it right. you know we're it's laughing. like there are just people on the other side. Yeah, it looks yeah, like yeah. The, it looks like there's a hole in the theater, and right. you're just seeing reality. Which means the way that like right now, the way that we're all looking at each other. If you look around anywhere, you're not perceiving the edges of your frame. You're just looking. You're focusing on the things around you because your eye has so much to take in. When you watch this movie, you're not aware of the frame, and as such. The language of film goes out the window. Framing, contrast, right, all the these thing. things go You're away. You're not watching just people on a stage. You're still watching a movie that cuts, you know, that has yes. close-ups, mm-hmm. people's heads, that has, people's like, arms. dissolves. Yes, things this that, is like, a movie that has a lot brain. of complicated yeah. visual tricks, right? Yeah, yes. and like, ha- like... I mean, like Andy Richter, you said that joke about like his grandma watching a movie and you cut to someone's head and she's like a severed head. Like, you know, like that's right. funny. Like but this movie kind of feels <laughs> right. like watching that. And and in a way he hasn't done his career up until this point, it has a lot of, as much as I said, it isn't a subjective film in terms right. of being from Billy Lynn's viewpoint. A lot of the conversations are subjective close-ups. The coverage is like Chris Tucker looking you in the eyes. Right. So we were like walking out of the theater and being like, that's the weirdest fucking phenomenon is seeing Chris Tucker deliver a monologue. His head is like 30 feet tall. Yep. And it looks like you're seeing that through a window. It looks like <laughs> King Kong is outside your window talking to you about a, so a movie weird. deal. It is wild. And yeah. here's the other thing about that is that there's something in frame called the language of film, which is certain rules that we believe uh, exist. Is through. that like the line, for example? So there's the 180 degree. Right. There's something called the 30 degree rule. Here's a really interesting one. 30 degree rule. This is a rule that when you are uh, making a film, and uh, if you have a camera pointed at something mm-hmm. and you're like in a wide shot, if you're going to cut to that same subject again, you have to change the angle by at least 30 degrees. Otherwise, your eye notices the cut. Sure. Because right, right, basically right. Um, the image needs to be different enough so that your eye isn't as attuned to what's changing. We had a but different 30 based- degree rule on set of the tick, by the way, which was the soundstage had to be 30 degrees because <laughs> Peter's costume was so hot. <laughs> That sounds like paradise I'm to me. Not even joking. Um, a lot of crew people wearing parkas. But, but in there's July. The, the line, you know. So say it's like JD and I are talking, right? right. Is that your your camera would stay on one side of our that's conversation? The no, that's the one eighty degree orientation of the frame. If David's on the left and JD's on the right, if you do a hard cut over to fully the other side, where then 
David was on the right and JD was on the left, your brain would reject it. Would it would just look stupid. But Although you, Phantom Thread crosses the line many times, and it's one reason those conversations are so strange and disorienting. But uh, it can be used cool. much like we were talking about breaking rules on purpose to get a disorienting effect. The great Jeff Herb, rest in peace, one of the things he said about the line, mm-hmm. Jeff Herb, he was a cinematographer. Jeff Sounds Herb. like an herb. Jeff Herb. He was a cinematographer. He was an amazing... He was part of the ASC. He was a professor at NYU. No, no, no. He oh, sounds like yes, a Mario Kart villain to me. Yes, yes. Um, but he basically said, don't have to wear a 180 degree rule. The thing that you have to keep in mind is um, characters should be looking the same direction on screen. And that's all that your eye really sure. cares about. How, did, how do you spell this guy's name? D-R-B. Hmm, interesting. There he is. Jeffrey D. Herb. Yeah, he was incredible. Passed away did a couple years died? ago. He died? Wikipedia yeah. says he's still alive. Not true. No. Wow. Update that sucks. Um, but... So 30 degree rule, a great example. Um, have you done VR, anyone here? Yeah. No. Yeah, I Fuck just yeah. did it on mushrooms recently. Yes, I uh, listened to that episode of Night Call. It's actually really great. He talks about it. So uh, something in VR that they learned is that you can't cut in VR because people throw up. So they, they do fades to black and then fades back up. Yeah. Because in VR, when your reality just changes, it's too it's upsetting to your, your, your balance. Mm. Same thing happens in 120 frames. The third degree rule does not work. Coverage does not work because as you look at it, you believe you are perceiving reality and when it changes, it seems off-putting. See, this is what I want to hear. This is why yeah. I want to know why this movie looks so fucking weird. And I don't mean the crispness of the visuals. Yes. I mean how the camera moves. The way your brain so, processes like the information on screen actually kind of hurts that's, you. As I was, we were watching, I was trying yeah. to explain to my girlfriend like, like what was so unsettling about just the movies, the way the movie's visual language yes. works and it's hard to explain. Yes, so here's, I'm not that smart. I'm stupid. I'm big dum dum. Here, so here's a really interesting thing. Um, refu- you're looking at me like you want me to deny that you're a big. Dum-dum. I was like, imagine a spinning pizza, and she was like, I'm going to bed. Yeah, she's like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with this. Um, so people talk a lot about um, how like 3D is like color film and audio, you know, sound being uh, added to film. It's not, in my opinion, um, because we already had ways to uh, communicate depth in film. And the two ways were focus and contrast. Those things both both communicated depth. Now we're using 3D to communicate depth, sure. and it's different. Right. So in this film, what they had to do is they started to realize is that uh, contrast and shadows didn't work because we're used to a 2D plane, a square that we're dealing with the um, it's a rectangle, the balance. Uh, yeah, the rectangle that we're dealing with the balance of right. Because we are looking into it and we're perceiving it as reality, we don't we we don't need contrast or lighting or focus to tell us anything about what we're supposed to be looking at because that would be like if you're looking out into the world and suddenly just one thing's in focus that that means that you need to get glasses now that's why i rewatched the movie in 3d last night because i started out watching it in 2d high frame rate yeah and if you're gonna lose one thing it's actually more disorienting to lose the 3d in watching it because the way it is shot and lit right there is zero depth in the image if you're not watching it in 3d right because because of that, trying to mimic reality, quote unquote. Mm. And so here's what they became up against when they're shooting this. When you shoot stereoscopic, you need two cameras. You basically have one camera for each eye. Mm. You have something that's called the beam slitter in the middle, which is a mirror that shoots light off of it into both cameras. Of course. Right. So they're shooting on Sony F65s, which are pretty heavy cameras. Sure. And you have this 3D rig and all this stuff that has to connect them and combine them. Oh. And when you're shooting 120 frames per second, you have a lot of your batteries, mo- all the media is huge. Noise. Their rig was over 100 pounds, mm-hmm. the camera. 
So Ang Lee talks about how he's so used to shooting steady cam shots, things like that. Right. A steady cam operator can hold. Cannot hold 130 right. pounds on their shoulders right. for more than two seconds. And there's very little camera movement of any kind this film. It's a lot of static lockdown yeah, long the moves, takes. The moves feel very like jar. Like you yeah. really yes. notice it when the camera moves. And when you shoot stereoscopic, you need those two things to be totally in sync. So like uh, for, uh, an, a, a great example of this is that they shot these on Master Prime, which are really beautiful lenses, but they had to go through dozens of lenses to get two of each lens that matched because lenses are, you know, made by humans, fallible, things will be wrong with them. If only we could get rid of humans. That's, that's, that's five, page five of J.D.'s yes. manifesto. Now, the humans. The humans ruin film. Cinema. Oh, boy. So they're shooting this with these giant camera rigs that are hard to move. On top of that, you need to be perfectly synced. Something they ran into while shooting this was that because they're 120 frames per second, they could not get the cameras to be totally in sync. They would be off by a couple frames, which totally changed like, Sounds like how a media managed. stupid idea then. It's crazy. This is like the it's room never when been Tommy Wiseau is like, we'll shoot yes. digital and film at the same time. The thing that's crazy about this movie, craziest about this movie for me, is that he decided to apply all of this to making a full feature film that was going to be released in theaters rather right. than going like, let me get technology Let's companies to short. give me five million dollars yeah. to make a short. Blank check, baby. Which yeah. is kind of like like Inaritu's VR film. Like that's a yeah. short, right? That kind of where thing. Where he's like, let me try and begin to develop Legendary a way to gave use him this. the budget to sort of test out right. what happens if and you he give, uses it yeah. in a clever way. And it's like there's there's an immersive concept to that movie that right. makes sense. But this is an all or nothing thing. In the same right. way that Attack of the Clones was, where it was like, I'm gonna do the learning. We're just curve gonna build this whole plan yes. in the while air. making right. the movie and just put it up on screen. And we're gonna do it on this for you cinema community we're gonna right. do it on a script that's like from an untested writer right. that's like you know not a movie that's screaming out for this like like we said there is some yeah. thematic concept here but right. like like there are other ways to use visual and film language then, to communicate that this guy is feeling the, weird the, been done right the crazy side effect of that for me is that because of the way they had to light everything frame everything set up the camera move you know the way they directed actors the way they dressed or didn't dress the sets all of these things the film is essentially unwatchable in every other format. <laughs> yes. So that it's not like a 3D movie where you can just right, you're remove one of the two. Watch it's like, it right. In like, like you can watch DVD. Avatar in 2D and you oh, argue yeah. that it's not as good, but it still does no, work in good. the way that you're used to watching a movie. Yeah. It makes sense. This movie looks strange even when it's in normal frame rate. Yes. So to answer your question of why does this look wild? So first, the camera rig is totally unwieldy. Right. So the speed at which you're used to shooting stuff is impossible. Second, as they start to shoot, they learn that coverage does not work, which is when you're shooting a scene, you get close-ups, angles. Right. That doesn't work with this. And then this. you can Shot put it all together right. in the editing room. Right. Then, here's where I explained all of how cameras work ben to you guys. Ben has the biggest smile on his face. Here's where I explained how, why cameras work to you. So, because you're using all this technology, and this technology, uh, I'll start by saying this. Uh, the production designer, there's a great quote where they talk about, usually when you production design a scene. So, like, right now, if you look at, like, the wall of this, this building, right? We're looking at a wall in this somewhat newly built studio. You can tell that the paint looks like it's a newly built studio. And that's because there's not years of layers of paint painted on top of it. And we perceive that because we're in this room. Whereas when you go into like a New York apartment where there's 40 layers of paint, you can sort of perceive that. But when it's in movies, you don't really notice that. In Billy Lynn, you do notice it. The production designer was like, usually in films, I would put three or four coats of paint on a wall. And in this film, I had to put 30 or 40 because you would notice it. You would notice it. Likewise, ma the oh makeup artists were yeah. like, you couldn't put makeup on because you could see it. You see it. You see any makeup on these right. people's faces. 
and it gets into like if any you know listeners have ever been on any film set of any sort there's always that disorienting experience even if you're on the lowest level thing yes. you know where you're just like god this looks so fake i can't believe it photographs as real on right. camera right. and they're you like know, we've been doing this for 100 set, years we know what it's supposed People to look just like have no, right. through trial and error these things yes. have been developed yeah. bit by bit and they essentially tried to rewrite the entire language of cinema in one 120-minute movie. And here's what's so wild. is so <laughs> Not just the language of cinema, but the language of how you produce a film. Right. So Every different department. Yes, yeah. every department. And anything that looks slightly off or slightly manufactured is glaring in Billy Lynn. But because they're shooting in 3D, your beam slitter, splitter takes away one stop of light. It's, it takes away half of your light. Then, because you're 120 frames per second, Insane. that the takes away like that swelling. takes away two and a third stops of light. Fuck. So now we're losing stops everywhere. Now we're three and a half stops of light. Okay. <laughs> then Ang Lee is like everything needs to be in focus. What did we learn about focus? To have things be in focus, you have to have a, a small aperture, which means what? You need more light. Right. So they got into the situation where they needed sometimes five or six times as much light because also. The, the F-65s that they're dealing with sort of have a built-in digital ISO of like 800. And they, anytime you push it above that, you start getting digital noise. So of course, they were, anything that was slightly not real stuck out like a sore thumb, but they also needed to find a way to pour a light in in a way that has never been done in cinema before, which is like, like square peg round hole. Those things do not fit. That's why like, if you look at the behind the scenes stuff of them shooting like the Super Bowl, um, they have there's these big helium balloons you can fill with helium, float into the air, put really bright lights in. They had like ten of them in the air just to shoot as much light as possible onto the subjects. Likewise, Ang Lee was like, contrast doesn't work, lighting doesn't work. We have to keep it low contrast just so as an audience member you can look at it and just pick out what you want to look at in the frame. So it's it's this insane endeavor of anything that's slightly messed up you're gonna notice and. We everything is messed up because we're doing this, and, right. and you're also. Right. You I mean, the, way, the experience the that needle. everyone who's seen this movie projected in the full Ang Lee format, a form they never came up with a name for. They should just call it the full Ang Lee. Yeah, an uh, Angle Vision is that yeah. you can't stop focusing in on weird things in the background. Sure, yes. sure. Like you, you get really hung up on signs on walls. Or like certain background actors, there are especially oh, if something God. doesn't look totally right. If their background, because a big thing on set is you go like, "Hey, we need clean sounds." So all the background actors just mime talking. No, and you can't stop focusing on how fake the people pretending to talk in the background look. Can I? Which say is something, something you never pay attention to. Yes. yes, it's weird that you would do all of this in a movie where you have someone playing a fake Beyonce. Yes, that's the thing. <laughs> that's the weirdest. <laughs> the weirdest of all. I know. Things. I've already said other things and are the weirdest element of the movie. My but that girlfriend is truly immediately the, the second. Yeah, was like that's not Beyonce, and I was like, well, no. I mean, they they couldn't get Beyonce. It's all that you can think about. So the second she's on screen in the most important scene and in the you movie, only ever see the back of her head, and it's the most glaring thing in the world. And like every time she turns around, and yeah. the other members of Destiny's Child, you know, like which they might do, like if they're deep in the background, you notice it because you're like, oh, I see how we're not really able it's to see their cut. face, right. right? You know, like, but there's even this shot where it's like her in the foreground from behind adjusting her wig, and in the background, totally in focus, you see the line of like the seven Bravo guys. And it is somehow the most amateur hour shot. It looks like garbage. That's yeah. exactly it. You're like, why does this look cheesy? Like this is this movie is supposed to be like a visual revolution. It looks cheesy. It looks cheesy because anything that's not real, right. you notice. Yeah. Right. Which is why I think this technology should be used to make like a film like uh, 
Koyana Stasi or yeah. like Baraka Sansara. Right. But, so much better for documentaries. And that's why I yeah. thought I thought casting uh, what's his name as the lead is really interesting because yeah. he's not necessarily a, an actor actor. He's a guy that's sort of new. Whereas something that Ang Lee talks about and that you you and I noticed was when you look into the eyes of the actress performing this movie, you see an actor performing. It's you see all so the insecure. You see them remembering their lines. It you, feels like you're reading their mind. You see them making the choices. And the thing that's astounding is I think Joe Allen is really good in this movie and comes off the best of all the actors. He's good. He has the least talking to do. I disagree that he's the best in the movie. Garrett Hedlund? Yeah. He's he's, very good as well. He's excellent. He's the only one who seems to have figured it out. Yeah. Because it's not just the visuals. It's also the script is so weird. The script's very odd. But I was going to say the thing thing with Joe Allen is that he's good though. Is that he's straight out of drama school. Yeah. So he is a real actor, but he's not an actor who has any real prior experience with on-camera stuff right. in any so serious he's maybe way. Just, he doesn't have the, the movie-making tricks that he has to they ignore. They didn't have to yeah. teach him how to unlearn because like, people like uh, uh, Vin Diesel and Steve Martin, uh, my best friends, are people who have, over decades, sure. developed such a strong sense of technique in terms of what their relationship to the camera is. But Vin Diesel, above all else, is an actor who's like, I know exactly how I play on camera. I know what my angles are. I know the decibel I talk at. Sure. You know, like, this is my relationship. And then you watch him in this, and you're like, I see Vin Diesel thinking about when lunch is going to be. Fair enough. I mean, he's hungry. But, I mean... He's hungry. I think Vin is is fine in the movie. I think Kristen Stewart's fine. I, I even think Steve Martin's okay. All of them play better when you're watching at normal frame rate. Though. Yeah, that's probably I was, true. I was going to say. Probably true. All of them do. Yeah, everything does. Because that's much. their medium. They're yes. the three actors who are the most... Ex- or the four actors who are most experienced in the old school way of... of Cinematic language. Joe Alwyn works well because it's like Ang Lee taught him how to be on camera specifically for this camera. And they talk about how they did so many fucking tests with him mm. because the studio didn't want to hire a totally unknown guy who'd graduated right. from drama school literally two days before they put him on the plane. So they did like 10 tests with him. They kept him in Texas like doing tests or LA, I think, for 10 uh, consecutive tests over the course of like two weeks. So they were A, testing him and testing the technology at the same time. So I think his performance is the most married to everything they were trying to do technology. Right. And that's the other thing. As they shot this, they couldn't watch it in 120 frames per second. The technology does, did not exist for them to watch dailies. In fact, even in post-production, in editing, they could not watch it in 120 frames per second. They're so just they like were making a movie and being like, right, hopefully this will all come out in the wash. They're making a movie like the Lumiere Brothers. Right. Where it's like you shoot it and you go like, I hope this turns out. And you don't know. I think I that's, have a question though. Shoot. If I'm traveling, let's say going on a trip uh-huh. somewhere. Like a long halftime walk. You know, where would I, what would I use to, to, to transfer things from one place to another? Well, that's the thing. Look, if you're taking that's a long halftime walk, you don't want a lot of things in your pocket, right? Jangling around, cutting into your thighs and the like. All right. You know? And I a hate lot of, when that happens. A lot of people go like, oh, luggage, it's so inconvenient. It's so heavy. Why would I pack a bag? Well, maybe maybe someone has just entered this space, a disruptor, into the luggage space to send all your problems with luggage <clears throat> away. Oh, you're talking about the team of thinkers, seekers, and designers who've created a new kind of luggage? Luggage with power? And I don't mean power like emotional power. I mean like... Like real power. Well, like you can plug your phone into the thing. Like power season six on stars. You know? Exactly. And this is... a product they designed after asking thousands of people how they pack, why they travel, what bugs them about their luggage. Mm-hmm. So this bag 
it doesn't have sticky wheels, you know, solving it, it old problems, but it also solves new problems like dead cell phones. Yeah, well, it's got a battery built in, so you can charge on the go. But the thing, here's the thing I really like about it, okay? Okay. Shoot. I sweat a lot for a man as, as small as myself, and I use the term man very loosely. Fair enough. I, I sweat like Joe Cocker at Woodstock. And so if I go on vacation, my clothes are like, you don't get a second use out of them, right? When I pack my bag, I'm always like, dirty clothes in the same bag oh, with the but clothes this, you're I didn't saying, wear. This Am I getting a plastic bag from a bodega and stuffing the dirty clothes I inside? Here's the thing they do. Removable, washable, laundry bag. Do. Keeps inside dirty it. clothes separate from clean. Inside. So you get to separate, segregate your dirty clothes from your clean clothes. Maybe segregate was a loaded term to use, but you put it in there, you close it off, then when you get home, you pull the bag out, you put it in the wash. Done. Sounds All right. Good. Now I got to tell you, this sounds awesome because I currently don't have a home. Ben is homeless, and this is not a joke. I don't have an apartment, so I think <laughs> I need this. Ben's like Pete Holmes because he's crashing. He's crashing. In several, right. several different well, applications of that term. So it ships could for free. I, yeah, how could I get this? Ships for free anywhere within the lower 48 states. Great. You're in one of Compliant those. Compliant with all major U.S. airlines if you want to take it as a carry-on. You can get it in many sizes. The carry-on, bigger carry-on, okay. medium, okay. the large. Yeah, because you might be living on an airplane. Too. But if you want $20 off a suitcase, you visit awaytravel.com slash check uh-huh. and you use promo code check during checkout. Okay, so I check to make sure the promo code box is there and then what do I type in? I'm going to repeat myself. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash check and use promo code check during checkout. That's $20. And, uh, you know, uh, it's they're great. I have one. I'm taking it to Toronto in just, just a couple days. Double humble brag. Yep. Great. Well, thank you for answering my question. Let's get back to the walk the episode. Talking the walk 28. Getting back to talking the walk day. Ding dong. Oh, who's that? Let me open. Hey, kids, it's me. <laughs> Ronald McDonald, the official sponsor of Blank Check. If you come to a local McDonald's and use the promo code Blanky, I'll cut your Big Mac and hack. Why is you he? You can take one half now the and take one clown half home. From it, he's Pennywise. Well, that's what the kids like. It's McDonald's keeps up with the times. Pennywise. They got artisanal chicken sandwiches and they got Pennywise. That's what the kids like. I'm Ronald McDonald. Don't steal my burgers. But 100% that is a real ad, so I recommend you go to a McDonald's, and when you're ordering, say to the cashier, promo code check. Yes, and just wait. And if they don't know what you're talking about, you go, I heard you were going to hack my, my Big Mac and half. Hack my Mac. <laughs> promo code check, hack what my Mac. What were we talking Hashtag about? hack my Mac. We were talking the walk, 2018. Here's something interesting. Here's an interesting byproduct of all this stuff. Yeah. Um, in 3D films, usually... There's an issue, and this is a big issue in Life of Pi, where there's motion blur issues because motion will start mid-frame or something like that, and you get this feel, this like weird ghosting the feeling. The camera movement's too fast if the movement of the characters on screen's too fast. Yeah, and it doesn't work. In this, it's all good, baby. It all works. Yeah. And, and you're watching th- like football players. I mean, you're watching dancers at the halftime show. People moving very fast. Like, have you ever noticed in a movie when like uh, the camera will, like pan across a scene, and you're like, oh, I can't look at that. And that's that's uh, like motion judder. It's a it's a problem that happens because your brain can't track all the changes that are happening, and especially, especially when motion blur. disorienting to look at in three D, where yes. it's trying to render blurs in three dimensions, which but doesn't Life really of make Pi sense. Is a better movie than this movie. Yeah, I would agree. But 120 <laughs> frames per second, that problem doesn't exist. So there's all these things that as you, as you watch this movie, where you're like, this feels weird and different. I can't tell why. And this is the thing that 
I feel like suckers, I would say, mm-hmm. some of these directors into this, like James Cameron, Peter Jackson, where they're like, I want my special effects to look cleaner. I want these like big yeah. action scenes I'm look, you know, to look be more well, easy to follow with your eyes. 48 frames per second is mostly a nightmare to watch. Right. But anytime there's an entirely CGI creature on screen, you're like, this is actually looks pretty good. stunning. Looks good. Like Gollum looks amazing. But Everything the problem is that bad. a guy wearing Hobbit makeup looks like a guy wearing Hobbit makeup. You can makeup. like see the seams of the nose. You, you see can. the difference of the refraction of the light, you know? You like, see the guy in his eyes being like am i a believable hobbit right now 100 percent. yes you don't feel anymore like you're in fucking rivendell or whatever right. whereas in the original lord of the rings shot on film as far right, as right. i know like where he's just like let me point the camera at new zealand like you're like oh yeah. this looks, seems like another world because right. there's a window right it's like bill, bill, give me the window well it's like bill plimpton does the animations he he, he draws in like twos or fours right, right? And you watch that and you enjoy it because your brain is interpolating between it. Here, oh boy, you're just getting reality. You're looking at Steve Martin and you're like, Steve Martin's not sure if he can do this. And Steve Martin is aware of the fact that he's wearing a suit that they just bought yesterday. Like you, te- you can tell all right. of these things. And you're like, did Steve Martin get a facelift? The thing you know, like-, like you're looking at like all these aspects of things that could usually be hidden on camera. <sighs> Plus, you feel like you're looking into everyone's minds. Steve Martin is the biggest one where you're just like. Oh, that's Steve Martin. Like you, yeah, that's that's, that's all I'm yeah. thinking yeah. about when he's in it. He's not playing a character. It's just Steve Martin. It's weird. Do you know? He's got weird yeah, like why is Steve Martin talking like that? Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. how he talks. Yeah. Um. Do you know that he was offered the Chris Tucker part? Angley really wanted him for that. They announced huh. that like Steve Martin was in talks for Billy Lynn. Then they said he had dropped out because he didn't want to play that part. And then he came back and was like, "I'd like to play the owner." And then he was back in the movie. And this part feels like a far less natural fit for him, which I find fascinating because in Born Standing Up, his memoir, uh, he talks about how he felt completely discouraged from being in dramatic films because he remembers going to see the premiere of The Spanish Prisoner, the mammoth film he's in. Right. And the audience laughed when he came on screen and he was like, that's it. Conclusively, they will not take me seriously as a serious person. I don't want to fall on my face and embarrass myself by trying to do that. And then in this movie, they offered him the part that was a little more comedic in a drama. Right. And then he decided to go for the character that is very dry. Yeah. Very dramatic. Right. Right. Really weird. And then you're watching him and seeing that intent in his performance. Yeah, it's wild. I have a question about VR. Yes. You brought that up earlier, and I just experienced that. Yes. Um, and it was intense. Yeah. But that was because I was on. You were on Mushrooms. You know, psilocybin. That'll make right. everything And that intense. will make, you know, things feel very intense. And you were doing that on our shroom. Vin Diesel's fallen hero from this movie, which you don't even know his name because you don't watch him. Yes. Uh, so I, though, I was thinking about the, we were like the whole time, my yeah. friends and I who went, we were talking about the implications of this technology. Yeah. And like even just thinking like how in like some weird, creepy, like Berlin club, there's like horrible designs of like VR reality that you could like engage in. Right. Um, so, you know, but the other thing I was thinking about of like, sort of like how we're all talking about like, uh, big flashy superhero movies is the future. So even just thinking of like, are we going to start going to movies Uh and put on a VR mask? Like I did. Oh God. Because the Please thing no. that I will say about it and then walk around in a room like I was, you know, in these right. different installations, because the thing about it is I don't know if that's storytelling. Anymore. I yes, kind of agree with you. 
and it, it well, just becomes immersion. Well, so here, here's the barriers that are in the way of VR right now. Is number one, you have motion lag, which is when you move your head, there's a slight lag between the video moving and you moving. And if you think of VR, um, most of the VR experiences you've had have probably been CGI, right? Because filming uh, live action footage, the only thing you can really do right now is take a single data point and be collecting everything that's coming into it, right? Right. Whereas true 3D, uh, the experience of living life is that I can walk uh, around objects and see the different angles of them as opposed to standing in one spot and just looking around me. So we'll have to develop technology that allows you to actually explore and change and interact with um, real footage in a way that is as dynamic as the real life. Because until then, you're just stuck at a finite point and everything around you, you can look at. But So that's why I don't think that's coming. But I do think this technology of 120 frames per second, 4K 3D, is a step towards that. Because... Again, right now we are inhibited by the rectangle screen, but this technology proves the rectangle doesn't really matter when you have a high frame rate like this. So I do think there'll be interesting things, but I think this is I think we're I think this is a very early stage of something that will probably develop into something more reasonable and more useful to us, but this is the first step. It will be a long time before a long halftime walk. It'll be a long halftime walk before it turns into anything that is uh Full of more experiential. I, I'm going to say this in the dumbest way possible, but what I find fascinating is all of these uh, techniques and technological advancements, which are in the name of trying to the the notion they throw out is we want to greater reflect reality, make what the image you see on screen feel more like how your eyes function, what the real world looks like to you. Right. When it's with live action elements, weirdly starts to have an uncanny valley effect because you're starting to notice how fake everything is. Right. And the CGI rendered elements always work better. You know, like this stuff works in video games, works in VR. I mean, if you were going to try to push the high frame rate thing just as its own thing, it would make more sense to do that with CGI animated films. Right. You know, to say like Coco's being released on limited screens in 48 frames per second and that might fucking work. That's kind of what could be the breakthrough for the technology, at least to get people to sample it. But God, animators would kill you. Having to kill animate you. 120 frames per yeah, second. Yeah, that seems evil. It literally, right. if you're doing 48, it doubles their workload. Right. You know, and, and I mean, it will, yes. That's the thing. All this bullshit is a lot of bullshit, but at least it's like, you are still just pointing a camera somewhere and turning yes. it on. Like, right. it's not like animation where they have to, they can't just point a camera like, at something Pixar and turn it on. Pixar movies, which are state of the art, are still done in 2K. And there's been some questioning of like, why wouldn't you go to 4K live action films or in 4K now? And it's like, because it literally would double our work and our budget. But I would want Uh-oh. to, instead of watch a movie about robbing a bank, I want to rob a bank. But, then, but you can and already have done that. You just buy a gun and rob a bank like you do. Good time. All right. <laughs> He's taking the fifth. Oh, weird. Okay. Do you remember that time that Ben walked into a bank and said, this is just good time VR? (laughs) (laughs) Well, with a loaded shotgun. (laughs) What's wild about all this talk, too, is that the technology does not exist for 120 frames per second really yet. Yeah. Like Avid, which is the the editing system everyone uses, Mm. it only released its sort of like beta version of 60 frames per second during Billy Lynn. So they had to by hand track and manage their media like pen and like an excel file they had open to track the to line up the frames get everything to work because it does not exist yet you're just telling me this and i'm so stressed out because they made a bad movie like it sucks to hear all this and it'd be so great to hear all this and you'd be like and the fucking result is there like what a 
Titanic but film. That's the like, thing I find that will always be remembered. So interesting about it as yeah, an artifact it's interesting. Is that if you were doing like a five minute short film, and when we walked out of this movie, we talked about it for a bit, and then we met up like two days later to talk about it for like another three hours. Yes. Right? You and I just walked around yes. and talked about it. And the big thing we were going into is okay, there is potential in this thing. What kind of movie could you make with this? Like you'd have to fully design it around the technology. Yes. And we were going. Is it a film that only takes place in one location? Is it something where you have entirely non-professional actors? Is it a documentary? Is it this visual aesthetic? Is it this type of story? I mean, we're running through all these different possibilities, right? And if you were doing, like, let's design a bunch of five-minute short films, testing out the different sort of genres, aesthetics, all these things that would work with it, whether, you know, we were saying, is it better if it's improvised? Because then you don't see people trying to memorize their lines. If they're really reacting naturally in the moment, if they don't know what they're going to do, all that sort of stuff. to have to deal with this level of problem solving takes up so much mental energy and so much time that it just feels like you're watching this movie and there's like a fifth as much energy spent on the actual movie right. as a storytelling device as there should be. And a big part of that is these shots are so difficult to set up that they said like it was like two, three takes maximum. Yes. So dramatically, right. I finally hit it last night where I was like, this feels like a shittier Clint Eastwood movie. Yes, where he famously is yeah, like, she's like right. I don't want to take too long in this. It's well, two setups. It's three takes. Either you're ready or you're not. Right. And sometimes it totally works. He's got Tom Hanks. It's a pro. And sometimes it's 15, 17 to Paris. And you're like, what the fuck is going on here? Right. And it feels like abstract art. <laughs> but and I at the weirdest doesn't. moments, this feels like abstract art, except performed by people who are very professional and experienced. I'm watching this movie. I had seen it twice already, yeah. but I'm watching this movie with Joanna and like... Uh, the first 20 minutes, like, you know, the weirdness of it. I'm like, I do love that idea that yeah. he feels like the world is like feeling a little too real. And also that idea that like we lionize veterans and military mm-hmm. people. And like, he's trying to present them in total clarity and show you how like scared and shaken up they all are. And I like, I'm like, I love this. And then 20 minutes in or maybe 25, he's having that conversation with the cheerleader. Yeah. And they're like saying these like weird long monologues to each other about like how they really feel. And you're just like, this is one of the least engaging scenes yeah. I have ever and, seen. And from Joanne, two actors who I think are pretty good. Joanne is just like, this movie is fucking terrible. Yeah. Like, this is boring. It and just I'm like, feels inert. Yeah, yeah I know. It, this is a bit of a rough scene. And then you, you realize like it just sort of like sinks into the muck. Like it can't pull itself out. It just doesn't have engaging pathos. Like, you know what I mean? Apart from the halftime walk, which well, is pretty good. And I've been in this scenario a thousand times on set. But if a scene like this is just not really grabbing you, what you would do after two takes is go like, okay, let's throw it all out. So what would make this? Maybe let's change right, the right, blocking. Right. Let me give you a different direction. But it was kind of like they had to go with their first draft ideas of every single shot, at least in terms of performance. And like there are scenes like the big Steve Martin speech scene where yeah. he's that's his scene where like network scene where he's like mostly delivered boys, in direct address how down it really the barrel. Works. Like here's a, and right. you, and he just kind of gives this like somewhat flat speech, and then you're kind of like and then the movie moves on and you're like that was that that was important was that important does that matter and like, especially for Angley, a guy where it's like he just likes to sit on set in silence for an hour and a half to get a full understanding of the space he right. likes and to he, work with actors body language do breathing exercises direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. is so precise about sort of the dramatic you know um his technique in terms of that reserve right and a lot of times that's whittling down from bigger performances to getting smaller and more nuanced things and with this, it's like they just don't have the space to do anything other than what the first strike is. That said, though. Oh, boy. Here it I, comes. Well, here's what I want to say. Okay. And this is me not being a critic. You're a film critic. Sure, sure, That's sure, what you do sure, professionally. Sure. I'm just a fanboy of films. I, 
I'm J.D. Amato and I love movies. Blanket, blanket thing. I don't, I don't like this film being categorized <laughs> as a bad movie or a terrible movie. I think this is a really courageous thing. I, agree. I think that maniac. it takes, yes, I think I it takes a lot of guts to go, we're going to be the first ones to use this technology. Right. I think it's a really novel idea. It is. And, it and is. It, I like the idea. The movie's like Fitzcarraldo. It's, it's like the actual event. Of, right, like uh, pushing right, a church right. up a hill or whatever. Right, yeah. right. it like kind of doesn't matter like what happens when the <laughs> boat like, gets to the other side of the mountain. Yeah. But the fact that they pulled it up the mountain is in and of itself. Yeah. Like, and it's like, yeah. I think his instinct so, to go... Uh, Olive and Lucinda. What's the movie with the church? It doesn't matter. Carry on. Jesus Christ. But his instinct to go, let's make this, let's use this technology to make a film about a vet. Like that all matches up. And of course, sure, it doesn't totally work out. And there's aspects of the, the story that don't totally line up. But I, I feel like when everyone's like, oh, it's a bad movie, it's a terrible movie, like, I disagree. I think this is, as people who love blank checks, mm-hmm. we should be rallying behind this. Oh, because 100%. If, if blank checks need to be uh, oh measured on whether they're perfect or not, then we're not going to get any more blank but, checks. But we're going to get Marvel is, movies and Star Wars no, you're, movies. No, but, but Marvel movies and Star Wars movies aren't perfect. They're just like, they're a guaranteed that's what I'm saying. B, right. you know what I mean? Like, But that's what, but like, they're just guaranteed to be pretty watchable. That's exactly, 100%. You're saying he took the big swing. I'm saying he missed. Now we both admire which I the agree swing. with, right? But I exactly. don't think that means it's a terrible film. No, I'm saying right, but he missed, so yes. like that's bad. I don't think it's a terrible film. I right. think it's not a good film. Not a good film. Yeah, I, I gave I gave it like it's like a six out of ten for me. Yeah. I, it's just yeah. a weird thing to say about a movie like this because it's such a polarizing, bizarre movie. But it is kind of like a film where you're like, well, this doesn't really succeed, but it is so unusual and that I, it's hard yes. to hate. I will it. say two things about it. One, JD and I, I love this. And largely agree with you on this, but I know you're a big proponent of the experience of making the movie should be as much a work as the movie itself. I think that can be as valuable creatively. Right. Sure. And this is like an ultimate example of that. Yeah. And certainly the process and the challenge of what they put themselves through is more interesting than the movie itself in this case. You wish there was a Burden of Dream style documentary about the right. making of this film just so all of that could be documented. The tragic thing about it is the movie is essentially unwatchable to most people now. Can we, can we talk about that after I walk? Though? Yes, in one second, because this is the second point I want to get to. Okay. But it's like most people can't see it the way it was intended. And yes. because of the way it was intended, the version that does now exist for people to watch feels compromised and just doesn't really make sense. Right. Now, the thing about this movie for me, though, is I just always remember, because it's not a fancy wording, but it sticks in my head. Whoever it was at the New, York, New Yorker, I think it might have been Anthony Lane, when Spider-Man 3 came out, did his whole pan of Spider-Man 3, but said there's this one fucking sequence in the middle, the birth of the Sandman sequence, where for five minutes, there's nowhere else in the world you'd rather be. And I think about that sometimes with a movie that doesn't work, but you get the one sequence where it's like, this is what the director was trying to do, and for a brief window, it totally crystallizes. And for me, the actual walk itself is that. When I saw this in theaters with you at 120 frames, in 3D, in 4K for the walk, I went, I fucking get it, and this feels like a masterwork. This is brilliant. And it's insane how when you watch it not in that format, it doesn't totally work at all. Can I... Yeah, that, right. That was my, my that point. Sequence, is I, went, I kept saying, experiential. Like, well, we're going to get to the, to the halftime walk. That's kind get of ready. The like, walk is great. And then we watch it on my TV yeah. in like, you know, crisp Blu-ray or right. 4K, you know, but still, you know. And I'm like, oh, yeah. No, I mean, it, that, that, was, that was good. Yeah, but like you forget, like it only really truly works in the proper. And it did. Yeah, it, felt, it feels like you're in his head for that scene. Right. I mean, and, it was and astonishing. And at the end again, uh, the, the sort of the, the final montage he has sure. during the fight 
Although some of the wartime sequences, him in the pipe with the guy in Vin Diesel, that's, that, I remember being very excellent striking. scene. And even the shit it's like also the pink well mist, I just remember being like, yeah. "Oh, this actually feels like what I imagine it would look like to be on the battlefield." It doesn't look like a movie version of war. This looks like actual but, violence. But yeah. then there are scenes like the scene where Billy Lynn in flashback is doing pull-ups, yeah. chin-ups, right. and Vin Diesel. And Garrett Hedlund's characters are talking to him. Yeah. They're all standing nowhere near each other. Right. And they're having this kind of casual conversation, but it looks like a stage play or something, like the way they've all been arranged. And then none of them ever move. Because it's for the sake of 3D. Exactly. And you're just watching this and you're like, These, this is fucking stupid. Like, right. they're not people. Like, right. sorry, Ben. Uh, and it's, you, you lose the whatever human drama he's like built a head of steam. Like it just sort of like dissipates really yeah, fast. Yeah, and they're even just like narrative issues like the, the whole running thing with them getting in troubles with like the stage hands at the concert where yeah. they're in the wrong place at the wrong it, it, time. It varies like in like where you're like, why are they yelling at them? Like, why are they being mean? Well, These are it's also veterans. Like, this like, is like a halftime show. There's like so much security. There's so much plan at this event. Destiny's Child is playing and they're going like, so here's what you're going to do yeah, you're and right. giving There's them like, the directions. 30 seconds before like they go onto the field. you haven't worked this out before? Stuff like that where you just go like, it seems very uncharacteristic for Ang Lee to put that much, that little thought into the internal logic of human situations. Right, or the thing with the Behavior. stage, the, the, right. the, where the, you know, the techs get like so mad at them and then decide to fight them after the Right, game. that they're just waiting right. in the alleyway. They would never happen. let that no happen. No one would ever think like, let me attack these famous war veterans. Like, cause, one, because it's shameful. Yeah. Two, because they'll kill you. And also they're the first murderers. half of the movie, they have Ben Platt with them constantly as their handler, yes. guiding them through everything. And then he conveniently disappears for all the scenes where people are trying to fight them. <laughs> right. And then, I'm just sorry. Like, are you, no, no, I, no. Like, I, this is the thing. All wow. the tech, and then it's like, when you just sort of dig into the movie, you're like, none of this holds water. It's so frustrating. Right. And I love the idea of, I mean, Rockmore movies are hard to make. We kind of talked about it yeah. on um, uh, Hurt Locker, even though that's under, you know, Middle right. East, you know, uh, War on Terror movies. Yeah. Uh, this this is kind of almost there to a good Iraq War movie. Like right. the ideas are good. The, you know, the, the sort of like total fallacy Bush era kind of like America. Like, yeah, we're still out there doing like I like that montage. Watching this movie of all makes the me people read talking the book to him. So fucking hard. I, the book's better. Right. Like right. of all the people talking to him where it cuts like yeah. to all the sort of like stock phrases we all remember. Yes. From right. that era. I think the combat scenes are good. Yeah. And conveying like I think they're really good. Just sort of yeah. the uselessness of it. I love that thing where yeah, where the, the guy he murders, his hand like goes up for a second, like he's saying a prayer or something to himself, like because he knows he's about to die, and then the red. But but it's fascinating. Like as great. much as we say, like it it kind of pulls the curtain back on performances and lets yeah. you see the process. The moment when he's stabbing the guy in the tube, you feel like you see life leaving this guy's eyes. Right. Yeah. And right. it's bizarre yes, yes. because it feels more real than anything you've ever seen. And then the way the blood slowly trickles out, it no longer feels like a visual effect. It feels like, holy shit, this is what it looks like to watch someone die. Like you feel like you're watching a snuff film for a moment. Right. And so there are these glimpses where it feels like the technology is totally lining up with the storytelling. They are largely the nonverbal moments. Right. You know, because I just think the script isn't there. And the dialogue scenes, the performances just aren't massaged enough. The dramatic sort of logic of the thing isn't totally figured out. But there are these moments that completely justify the film existing, as if it didn't already justify its own existence just from the bravery of the experiment, which in and of itself is just this amazing, like, we're going to the moon in 1918, you know? 
Like, we yeah. don't even know how to get to, like, Missouri yet. And you're going right. to the moon? Like, that's what it feels like. Yeah, yeah. When you're just like, this will go down in the history book someday as something. Whether anyone ever figures out how to do this, it becomes this amazing, like, chapter in filmmaking history. Which is, I think that's the important thing to me is, um, I just don't want the film to be dismissed and forgotten because I do think it is Ang Lee, John Toll, all, the, the whole crew that made Vin this. Vin Diesel. Taking these pretty brave, courageous steps to try this thing, and we don't see a lot of big filmmakers spending a lot of money to take these big swings that may or may not work. It's like to me, it's the epitome of what a blank check is. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna cash in all of my history as a yes, filmmaker sure. to do something that I think will at least push film ahead, even if it doesn't help me right There's now. There's weirdly something kind of selfless about it in that regard, sure. where it's like, I'm going to use my cachet to try to make the advancements that no one else can make. JD changed my opinion today, okay? Because okay. I like watching movies because I like stories, and I like kind of leaving my own reality and right. being absorbed. Seeing people who have uh, a home to live in. But... I will say that I've also always been like, fuck this Blu-ray bullshit. I don't care. I've never sure, cared. Right. I've never, ever The cared. technological aspects, right. right? Because I always was like, is it really that much of a difference? Yeah. I always get SD. It I've is also never, annoying that you always get SD. I've never <laughs> given a shit, ever. Yeah. I you get watch, it. You I watch VHS it. when possible. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I prefer it. Yeah. But- you have opened my eyes to the idea of experiencing a film and being more immersed through the visual. And right. I never really, I was always just like, I care about the story, the characters, the dialogue. I don't really, I'm not thinking about what it looks like, but it makes a difference. And well, what it, perfect it takes, timing as we go into our parent trap episode. Yeah. Well, I think it takes- Christmas visuals of all. It takes filmmakers appreciating and respecting the fact that they need to use an interesting way to make it worthwhile. A great example is like uh, the early stereoscopic films of this modern generation. I really didn't like until. Which, what are we talking about here? Uh, what do we got? I mean, whatever the first ones that come out in stereoscopic. Like early, like I'm trying. I guess like some of the Marvel movies did. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think. What were, uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth? Uh, the, the Robert Rodriguez did the couple. But the first one, and you you called me and Griffin stupid animation, stupid animation nerds. nerds for this. Coraline. Coraline was the first one where I felt great movie. The f- that Henry Selleck was yeah. respecting the medium and trying to do something interesting that was using it in a way that was engaging me as an audience. He did stuff where... Yeah, I love how he used he had, 3D. He had sets that were purposely really deep and sets that were used visual, fe- uh, um, physical effects to make them really shallow so that the 3D was really messing with your eyes. And he's literally using depth as like a storytelling element very consciously designed into like the body of the film rather than just being like, let's have things staggered in the image. And that was the first time that I went, oh, this is actually an interesting tool to be used in film. Yeah. Similarly, where it's like, I have the same thing. It's like, I couldn't give a shit. Like we were just talking about TVs before now and I don't have a good TV or a good audio system. I don't care. I I like the stories like you. But then when people start trying things that are interesting and are trying to push the, the format that's when I have to like open my eyes and respect that because that's that's when it's interesting again is when Ang Lee is going, hey, let's try this thing and try to use it for art, not just to make the ticket 10 bucks more expensive or to release it in another DVD right. version. Right. And I'll say a thing that I think I said on that episode, I will repeat despite it making me look like an idiot because I wasn't as smart and ahead of the curve as you guys were at the time. But I remember walking out of Speed Racer with my sister. She said, what did you think? And I said, I don't even know because what they're doing with the visual language is so different and beyond what anyone's doing that either this will totally make sense in 10 years 
or it will be this weird curio of someone trying something crazy. Right. And Speed Racer is an example where it's not like every movie looks like Speed Racer, but a lot of the elements of Speed Racer have seeped into our general sort of storytelling language where that movie makes more sense now. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Speed Racer's great. Speed Racer fucking rules. Yes, it does. It's wild. I, this How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Great. Yeah. We all just went quiet all of a sudden. I know. It's just a lot of the process. I love you. Here's, I love you, too. Hey, that, that's I love pretty, you guys. That's the thing in the movie. What? Vin Diesel. Yeah. He's the, oh, I, I love, love you. that. I love you. I love that, too. But it just kind of happens. Yeah. And then it happens again, and the movie's like, yeah. like you did before. And you're like, yeah, okay. I guess so. I thought <laughs> like, we were just having a nice moment No, on the I do love you. I love you so much. But I was, I was, well, I was just, you know. I think male intimacy is like not a thing that really gets represented. I'm a pretty intimate guy. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> well, now you're complaining. Yeah, okay, a little too intimate sometimes. <laughs> See, I, I feel you, like. You went 180 on a male intimacy. <laughs> I was trying to catch you. Honey trap, baby. My, I feel like my goal is. Oh, no. Go on, JD. What's your goal? Pulling out another I, envelope. Why is it called shroom? Yeah. yeah. That is fuck? a weird Griffin will try to honey trap David. He likes tripping. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, because he's all trippy. He's like spiritual, baby. <laughs> wow. God, that I, was the most half-hearted baby. I wish this was the best performance of you all You just time. want Vin Diesel to be so good in this movie. And you know what he is? That... Uh, Fine, yeah, pretty right. pretty good. Not, in a, doesn't in have much 120 to do. frames, I think he's actively bad. Right, you but see it's behind all the of... smoke and mirrors. If you watch it in 24, you're like, he's okay. Yeah, he's okay. I agree. Um, it, but yeah, it's it's very like watching it in the high frame rate. You were like, I see that Vin Diesel is like very consciously playing his best angles to the camera. Well, so like here's here's a few of my favorite moments in the movie. One is there is a scene where they're in a limo, which. To get the camera into the limo, they had yeah. to disassemble the camera, bring all the pieces in one by one, and then reassemble it in the limousine. So it's like when you can't get your sofa through the door of your house, or whatever. The guy has to take your sofa. Yes, yeah, Doctor Sofa. And this shot when they like he came to my house, you cut time. to inside the limo. This is when like eight minutes into the movie, everyone in the theater takes their glasses off for a moment and like rubs their temples because uh, you're seeing everyone in this limo. They're all in focus, and then in the back corner, there's a window where you're seeing people tailgating. And they're all totally in focus. And normally you wouldn't see them. Yeah. And they wouldn't be in focus. And they'd just be these blurry background actors. And instead you're like, that background actor is drinking a cup, but there's yeah, nothing in it. Yeah. Or, or, that guy's throwing a football to nobody. Like you're thing. noticing things that the you would notice in reality. When you're like, what, the shot of them on the, are the stage. seats made out of. Where yeah. you can see the whole stadium. Yeah. Like every, what stadium was this shot at? Where? Dallas. So it was shot at like the stadium. Yeah. That's crazy. I'm pretty certain. That yeah. must have been like fucking so complicated yeah yeah well and it's also impossible to light a giant stadium yeah, that's what like i'm that. saying yeah. it's like the worst environment yeah. like and like half of this movie is them sitting in the stands like them just sitting in the middle of the crowd and you see everything behind them they cg'd some of the audience in i have Which, to imagine imagine yes. how hard that would be Nightmare. 120 frames per second yeah. where any any error in reality is so noticeable yeah god um the, the fact that, you know, the, the book is supposedly so acidic and satirical, right? Yeah. And it's the contrast between Billy Lynn, who's a man of few words, and his sort of internal monologue and calling out the hypocrisy of everything around him. The Garrett Hedlund character, who we said is the character that comes off the best, the best performance in the movie, uh, doesn't exist in the book, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. and was created to have another character 
verbalize everything Say Billy things. Lynn was right. thinking, right. which is also the reason why he's the only engaging character to walk because right. it feels like he's the character speaking honestly. And it gets to a point where you're like, is there going to be a twist where like he's a ghost or something? Because right. Right? he's so forthright. Because he's yeah. just like forthrightness and Billy Lynn is just internalized like quiet and you're like, well, this kind of hurts Billy Lynn that he like isn't Billy able to Lynn say is anything. Just, he just looks like a lamb. He's right. just got those shimmering eyes. I think Joe Alwyn might be a good actor. Like I just saw I him in Operation Finale. Yeah. He's good in that. Like, I feel like he's got promise. He yeah. has a big year this year. Yeah. But, I mean, he is mostly, it's a lot of face in this movie. Uh, I just wonder if, especially with this technology, if the movie would honestly work better, more focused on close-ups of Joe Alwyn with voiceover over them. Right. You know? That's like, a, yeah. that might work better if it's, they literally just kept his internal monologue and you're just watching these close-ups and looking into his it eyes and weird. all of that. It might be I, weird, but also, like, this doesn't work. Two other things I want to point yeah. out before we stop talking about this movie and never talk about it again. Yeah, here's the plot. They take a while. Never <laughs> stop talking about Billy Lynn's uh, long Two things. One. What's an annual tradition? His, talking the walk 2018. We're going to do it every year, like the Blanky Awards. Definitely not. His, his, uh, Blanky's his sister, will do it. His sister, <laughs> Catherine. Yes. They play their scene together with this uncomfortable intimacy. It feels like they want to fuck. Right. And yeah. of course, part of the idea of Billy's character is that he's a virgin. Right. Uh, and that crazy thing where we literally send people off to die and right. rock and they've never had sex, but they can kill people. And you know, Which is one thing I think Ang like does years old. really sure, fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. well in this movie is casting really, really uh, young looking actors for the whole squadron to kind of sell home the reality of like, oh, these are kids. Arturo Castro from yeah, has a City. Baby face. Yeah, 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 yeah. Baby face. Um, so that's weird. Two, yeah. that scene at the press conference where two times the screen grays out and they like say the real answer yeah. and then they you hear them say the fake answer. And like you can't do that twice and never again. Yeah. That yeah. can be a thematic device or you don't do it. it also don't feels do it like twice. An, it just an seems elegant weird. technique. Like he Incredibly wants to show inelegant. reality versus fantasy, but doing it any other way would break the technology. Yeah. So just fucking take that out. Yeah. It's, it's a, basically really a masturbation joke. Yeah. I almost feel like this technology means you have to also follow like the Dogma 95 rules. Like, right. Oh, like it's just, there's a manifesto you have to subscribe to? Well, literally the Dogma rules where it's like no sets, no lighting. Sure. Oh, like, I see. Yeah, maybe right. not yeah. all handheld, but like all the things, because anything that feels uh, non-real. Maybe you yeah. should have a podcast that watches every Dogma 95 movie. and talks about all the rules that got broken. There's only one though, right? Did Kevin Smith ever make a Dogma sequel? Oh no! That was ninety nine, not ninety five. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> your, wow. your IMDb star meter just went down. <laughs> oh my god! Wait, can I? Sh- there are thirty five dog movies. Show- That's a good little mini series. Can you what? I found, I found something that made me laugh really JD hard. JD is wearing a blank check shirt. He He's a good boy. Wait, can I borrow your computer for a second, David? Oh, you fucking jerk. Why? <laughs> because I have a segment I want to do now. No! Let yeah. him do it. All I do Let a merchandise spotlight. God Let me do a segment. Because I, I learned something recently, and I think you guys will appreciate it. Wait, vamp while I get this Don't set up. Don't like getting my computer taken from me. Merchandise spotlight. Uh, uh, football. Uh, sure. Still America's favorite sport. Never done anything wrong. No controversies. Uh, Is there any merchandise? For this, no, no. Maybe I would love. What's the, the fictional team in the movie? Because they can't use. I think they just say Dallas. I don't right. Think I don't think they ever say a name. I, that would be a great piece of ephemera. Is like a fake, a fake jersey, Billy Lynn jersey. Yeah. 
Locking into IMDb Pro right now? Wait, it's very funny. Holy shit. I can check my star meter. I mean, if you stay logged in, I'll happily use your IMDb Pro account. Sure, you can use it if you want. Sure. You know those like uh, what, like Temple Run, those like mobile games where you're like trying to run and collect all the things and not fall into pitfall? They should have made one of those that's like a halftime walk and you're just very slow. Try to make it all the way without uh, being Hey guys, uh, Rachel tried to get uh, Dan uh, Vogler to... To be on the show, Dan Fogler from like Star Taking, Taking Woodstock? Woodstock. Yeah, his email is. <laughs> what don't are you say doing? What? I won't say. I'll bleep it. It's. What <laughs> <laughs> does she know him or something? Like, yeah, is... she did a podcast with him. He has a podcast. Wow. Okay. Is he going to be on the show? Maybe. All right. I'll say this: that is one of the better email addresses <laughs> I've ever. <laughs> Truly one of the better email right. addresses I've ever We're heard. ready. For, that was a good vamp. Good vamp. Great vamp. Ready for JD's <laughs> okay. Here's a second. I noticed this yeah. the other day, and it really made me laugh. Uh, this is uh, the IMDb Star Meter report with JD Amato. Okay. So IMDb has a thing called the Star Meter, which yes. they uh, randomly assign a number, a number a to someone. Yes. So like it's, rank, it's like how many times you've been searched, right? That kind of stuff. I don't really know. There's some yeah, algorithm. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, hey, yeah, so well, now you have, have to, to cut that out. out too. I know, I know. Yeah, it's thank funny. You. Okay, Ben, bleep everything that's happened in the last ninety seconds. Just one straight long bleep, and it so, ends now. IMDb has <laughs> IMDb has the star meter. Yeah, where yeah, yeah. it ranks people. Yeah. everyone that's on IMDb. That is true. Everyone. But on the star meter page, it has th- uh, f- four categories: the star meter, mm-hmm. how much they've moved up or down, mm-hmm. and then inexplicably, it has age and height. And you can categorize it's everyone. It's not inexplicable. I, I can tell you why they have that, but carry on. You can categorize everybody by both age and height. Yes, it's, it's for casting, casting purposes. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I understand why you would have someone's age and height there. Right. But this is, you can rank everybody in IMDb <laughs> based on their age or height. Are you going to see other 29-year-old 5'6 actors and how no. I rank against no, them? He's going to like find this, the I shortest want, and tallest actors. I want, I want to check in on, according to IMDb, who the youngest, the shortest, and the tallest actors <laughs> okay, are. Okay, fine. What about oldest? Right now, Ronan Willingham is the sh- youngest actor at age zero. Well, that's no what fun. Was he zero. In? But Give me his credits. Jackson Roloff from Little People Big World is uh, up there at one years old, as is Aria Dixon, Fiona from the NBC Nightly we're, News we're, at Lester Hall. We're cutting Hall. this. We're cutting no, this no. But then here's the, here's the best part. Here's where it gets wild. You the, have the height, so at half an inch. You already read. <laughs> half an inch? What are you talking about? Is it a fucking sea monkey? <laughs> half an inch is a guy named Keon. Impossible. But here's the real a kicker. Guy, here's like the thing that's so funny. Or something. Who who do you think the tallest a- <laughs> Who is the tallest actor going to IMDb? The tallest actor in cinema mm. history. Groot. Keiko the whale. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How tall? How tall? At 24 feet, eh? which means to me they are measuring Keiko's height as if Keiko were standing. We're standing. Fin nose. Yes. <laughs> Number two is Topsy the elephant from sure. the, larger than life. Operation Double Drop. No, from Something the from the, the film from the fucking 
like oh, 19... the one that gets electrocuted, <laughs> yes. the elephant that yes. uh, Einstein yes. acts. Oh, Jesus Christ! But Keiko the well. laptop back. <laughs> you already read a five-page manifesto. Yeah, I'm gonna log out of my IMDb. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me use your IMDb Pro. Why do you want it? Because it's so useful for me. Just don't can... do anything weird for me. No, no, no. It's just so I can see publicist phone numbers. You know, so yeah, I can okay. say like, hey, I want to interview uh, Top CD. <laughs> <laughs> He's long dead, David. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. How funny is it that Keiko the IMDb Jesus is like Christ. here's who's hot and here's who's tall. I want Topsy the <laughs> Elephant. That's his only credit, right? Yes, yes. He was kind of one and done. <laughs> We're going to play the box office. Okay. Keiko okay. the Whale. Why is IMDb have Keiko that? Keiko the Whale had a few credits too, right? Like, I mean, there's at least three Free Willies. I think he didn't I do all Keiko the Free Willies though. I think he did some, like, he might have been in like uh, Mary Kay and Ashley Mysteries at SeaWorld or they something Jason like Bourned that. They Jason Bourned him, yeah. They Jason Bourned yeah, um, you forget that Renner played okay. Free Willy in the third yeah, one. Pierce Brosnan jumped in at a certain point. Do we, <laughs> do we want to do the? Um, <laughs> I think the the weekend it went wide. It's one Put weekend later. So then pick either weekend. I don't. I'm trying to see. It. Maybe don't get so fucking. Look, mad whichever one we don't do now, we'll save for wa- talk in the walk 2019. Oh wait, what? Ding dong, ding, ding dong. dong. Oh, what? Make it. <laughs> I'm back. Oh my god. Um it's like one shitty blockbuster. You can, right, you can actually do your We're doing we're doing the weekend it opens. You can actually do Why is Ronald McDonald holding a paper SS Georgie? Okay. We're doing the weekend that it first came out. I think Ben wanted yeah. to do an actual ad there. It's okay. No, we're not it's doing it. It's a marker. I well no, uh, oh, it's it one is. for later, but it's fine. fine. Okay. Here you are. Ding dong, now you can actually do it. Ah, the movies. Are you Orson Welles right now? They help us escape <laughs> our world with A-list actors, extravagant set pieces, and witty dialogue. But what record scratch about the music? Oh, are you talking about the soundtrack show? Ah, uh, yes. The podcast that breaks down the music in your favorite movies while giving a bit of history around the film and its impact in today's pop culture? And like the best French wines, it's hosted by David W. Collins, a veteran voice actor and composer with over 20 years of experience in entertainment. But yeah, don't just call him a critic. He's an entertainment professional. He loves pop culture, and he reveals behind-the-scenes info on your favorite flicks and reveals how music makes them so memorable. So, like, you got, like, uh, Spielberg didn't want Alan Silvestri to work on Back to the Future at first. And Silvestri spent most of the production winning him over. Yeah, and, like, the best French wine, Princess <laughs> Line. <laughs> oh, boy. We lost Griffin. <laughs> yes, and, like, the best French wine, Princess Leia's theme in Star Wars is more romantic than the others. And that makes you care for her character as if she represents the good in the galaxy worth fighting for. Uh, yeah, and part of what makes the infamous shower scene in Psycho work is because the score makes you physically uncomfortable. And, like, the best... <laughs> <laughs> Look, you can listen to Soundtrack Show every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcasts, and you'll never listen to movies the same way again. And, like, the best French <laughs> wines, all of the music surrounding gameplay in Super Mario Brothers only last five minutes, aha! And we're back, kids. <laughs> okay, box up. Um, Remember, go to McDonald's, promo code blank, shut. and oh, say, hack my Mac. Be quiet. Be quiet. You got to do it in person, though. Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. <laughs> Don't, Don't use one of the kiosks. It's got to be person-to-person <laughs> communication. 
<laughs> it was in theaters. Billy Lynn's long yeah. halftime walk was in theaters for five weeks. Total. Total. Ooh. Yeah. It was on two screens in its first week. Mm-hmm. It then expanded. That was New York and LA. Correct. It then yeah. expanded to a, a 1,100 screens. Uh-huh. Was in those for the two minimum weeks like yeah. that are required by exhibitors, essentially. Yeah. Then lost all its screens, went to 75, 16, and then vanished from theaters. It's it one of like the biggest single weekend theater drops. Okay. Yeah. Do you know they released the film in 24 different versions? I No. I don't know what that means. What do like, you mean? Between... Stereoscopic 3D, uh, sure, 2K, sure, right, 4K. Right, uh-huh. right, right, right. right. Uh, different 3D versions, like 24 different versions. Uh, yeah, billion. So opens, Found domestic totals a million and a half. $1.7 million. Okay, uh, but it does make 30 worldwide. Yeah. The studio is estimated to have lost about $40 million. Yeah. Um, but like outgrossed by like two of the three Father's Knows. Yes. Best trilogy it's outgrossed films, right. by every Ang Lee movie except for Pushing Hands and, and Ride, with, Ride the with the Devil. Those are the only two. <laughs> yes. Right. That never cracked a million. Yes. Um, so number one on November 11th, 2016, I reviewed this film, by the way, you can read my review. It's not bad. It's on the Atlantic.com. Um, number one is a Marvel movie. Number uh, Dr. Strange. Yes. And so this is, this is the weekend when Donald Trump has just been elected president. Jesus. Like it, it's a rough weekend. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. So this is second. Pretty much. This is know, second like, weekend of Dr. Strange. Correct. Right? Where my mother and I were visiting my great aunt and uncle at a retirement home in Florida. Sounds like a great place to be. The weekend after Trump had been elected and we were losing our minds and we were like, let's walk to the closest movie theater and see Dr. Strange, which my mom has seen zero previous Marvel movies. And she even she was like, they're <laughs> all kind of the same, first right? Marvel movie? No, you know what? I think she saw, weirdly, I think the only two she had seen were Iron Man 2. Okay. And uh, the Avengers. Sure. And she didn't like either of them. And then she right. saw this and was like, yeah, they're all kind of the same, aren't they? Kind of are. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, Doctor Strange in second weekend. Big hit. People underrate uh, for like a solo uh, first Marvel film. That's, that's maybe the biggest of the first, uh, other than the first Iron Man. I guess so. Mid-232. Pretty yeah. solid. Yeah, yeah. Good. It did well. Yeah, because the other first entries usually do around And it's that weird thing where we're obviously going to get another one, but they won't say what the future yeah. movies in Marvel are right now because right, right. they don't want to, quote-unquote, spoil Avengers I think they 4. knew, I guess, how big a part he'd be in Infinity War, so it wasn't right. as much of a I love that he uses the Crimson Bands of Citrac. I mean, I like him. I think he's so a much. cool guy. It's a fun movie. That's he's another cool movie that is actually Supreme. infinitely better in 3D. That actually yes, uses I saw 3D that movie in 3D really and it, it looked cool in 3D. That's, yeah, that's the visual one, effects are really uh, special. Because they do a lot of portal, right. dimensional it's stuff fun. like that. It uses depth in a very similar way to Portland. Number is cool. two is a film uh, written and directed by past and future guest Richard Lawson. Uh, Trolls. It right. is his Trolls. Uh, which in its second weekend has made $93 million. And at that point had made $4 billion in merchandising. Uh, correct. That was um, DreamWorks' attempt to do was, cars and just be like, what's a thing we can put on everything and make endless It was a film about how you like, couldn't stop the feeling. <laughs> I listened to that song unironically. America was trying really hard. <laughs> That's a real J.D. Amato statement. Is that like a pump-up song for you? Or is that like a chill-down song for you? Uh, during dark times, I'll sometimes listen to it to get into a good mood. Cool. When when you're trying to kickstart the feeling and it won't start. Yeah. Yeah. You use Can't Stop That Feeling to start it. Whatever. Okay. Number three at the box office. It's a new film. One well, of the not years- new, new at the time. New at the time. I mean, uh-huh. this is a couple of years. Uh, one of the um, Best Picture nominees of this year. Oh. A great film. One of my favorites of 2016. And kind of like a genuine and oh. heartwarming hit 
like for this right. kind of movie. Yes. This was a surprising opening weekend for Arrival. Arrival, which made $100 million total, $200 million worldwide. And I remember people have like hypo- hypothesizing hit. at the time if the Trump election had helped boost the film with its message of struggling to communicate. It's a great movie. And now I think it's just like it was a good movie. I don't think it had any political... Probably. It's a great movie, though. It is Can a great I film. say something about the box office game that I just want to admit? Mm-hmm. Is that every time I listen to you do it, there's a part of me that thinks that you've cheated beforehand and that on the way sure, here... Sure, right. You yeah. like, we, we talked it. it through or whatever. No, just that Griffin has. You think I've memorized it in advance. Yeah. But I will say, anytime I'm here in person and I see you drawing from your memory, I can tell that it is real. And even if even if you did cheat, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to test it. I wouldn't want to know. You've also, I, you're I, you're in the world of magic. Like you're you're wondering if I'm using some like mentalist tricks or whatever. But you're saying at the very least I'm selling it well in person. I'm saying for the listeners, I'm I there's a part of me that was skeptical. Yeah. I I, I believe you're legit. I do find we have that I when people are in the studio. Could you film it at uh, 120 frames? Yeah, then oh. we'd figure out if I'm lying or not. The truth teller. Okay, number four at the box. Um, it's a Christmas movie. Here's the tagline for it. Five days together. Oh, joy. I definitely know that Joe Reed saw this movie in the theaters like within days of Trump's election. Love the Coopers? No. That's a good guess, though. Good guess. That is a good guess. Is it ensemble picture like that or is it like a star? It's an program? ensemble um, Does it have like a top line? Does it have like a real major star? Or is it really just truly an ensemble picture? It's a real ensemble picture. Yeah, uh, oh. you know the the cast is listed in alphabetical order on the poster. There's eleven names here. Is it a uh, was it almost Christmas? Almost Christmas. I get that confused with this Christmas. There's I don't know any of, of these movies with these sort of generic bland titles. Yeah, almost Christmas. It has bad Zuboy in it though. Look. Look, ben there he is. Bad zoo boy, John Michael And on Higgins. the poster, he's kind of going like... Yeah, no zoo for you. <laughs> you're, you're big, he's kind of got his arms crossed. The zoo Nazi. John Michael Higgins fan? Yeah. Yeah, there they all are. Yeah, right, yeah. There they are. Who is first... Is that an alphabetical Kimberly Kimberly Elise is first build with her E. Right. And then you got Omar Epps, Danny Glover, yeah. John Michael Higgins, yeah. Romany e. Malco. And Monique? Monique. Nicole Ari Parker. Yeah, there's a second line, baby. Wow. JB Smoove. Gabrielle Union, Jesse T. Usher, DC Youngfly. DC Youngfly. I don't really know who that is. I know the rest of them. Okay. Uh, he is a uh, an American rapper, actor, comedian, and singer. Well, hey, that's a lot of stuff. Number five of the box office. You don't want me to talk more about Almost Christmas? <laughs> I haven't seen it. I do like the dynamic between David sometimes being like, come on, let's get through it. And then sometimes <laughs> well, you're then like, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to settle in. Sometimes he really sits. And I like how this feels. Yeah. I like this chair. Number five is another of the year's best picture nominees. And one of those best picture nominees that people will probably struggle to recall in future years. Interesting. And, you know, it's a movie that actually didn't do that well. Interesting. Like, this is its opening weekend or is this a wide No, expansion? it's been out for two weeks. Uh, I feel like you've never seen this movie. It's mm. it's a genre you hate. Oh, no, I have seen it because you kept on telling me to not see it. This also <laughs> got a Best Director and Best Actor nomination. Correct. It is called, fuck, Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. I mean, it was sort of a hit. It made 67. But, yeah. like, I remember the buzz was kind of like a real comeback for Mel Gibson. It's like, well, it did fine. Like, yeah. It is insane that he got a Best Director nomination for that. That's crazy. the most egregious Two thing. years ago. Yep. That's when that happened. He's got to be done, though. No, 
he just made a movie about police brutality with yeah. Vince Vaughn. He didn't direct it. He's just the star of it. Yeah. It's called Dragged Along Concrete. Yeah, I wonder what the politics are on that one. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, uh, we've got The Accountant, one of those like sleeper massive hits. Yeah, huge. Uh, terrible American Accountant Fever. I never saw it. Uh, shut In. What is Shut In? Uh, it's the one where Naomi Watts is um, shut in Jeez. <laughs> somewhere. She's, she's stuck. Uh, Oliver Platt. I don't know. Wow. I never saw okay. it. Uh, what else have we got here? We've got uh, Boo and Medea Halloween. Oh, Jack Reacher sorry, Never Go Back. Me for a second. You know, I just remember like so many of these movies. It was that thing where Trump had just gotten elected and you're just like, even like looking at a no. poster for Boo and Medea Halloween, you're just like. Eh, Everything's eh. changed now. Yeah. <laughs> Inferno. Inferno. Geez. There's an ad for Inferno on my Billy Lynn DVD. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and I was like Ben Foster, and then I just skipped ahead. Yeah. I forgot he's in that. Wait, it has like pre-roll DVDs, pre-roll ads. Yeah, isn't that weird? That's that's very 1990s. Yeah. Disney's usually the only one who still does that. Oh my! We're God. unlocking the vault. Uh, yeah. And then the next week is Fantastic Beasts, but I picked the week before because fuck Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, okay, Beasts. More like yeah, exactly. More like fine beasts. You haven't well. There's only one. Yeah. Another one's coming this so year. Call well, okay, li- beast. If you can be bothered, <laughs> I liked all the Harry Potter movies, and then I saw those, and I was like, I don't think they're gonna scratch quite the same itch. So I'm just not gonna nope. do it. Nope. Mm-mm. No, they don't. They no, don't sir. scratch. That's the, that's probably a great way to define what's wrong with those movies. They yeah. don't really scratch that itch. So then I was like, I'm just not gonna it's, do it. Yeah. And I'll just have enjoyed the yeah. Harry Potter. And movies. I've said this before, but like the color palette of that film is limestone. It's, it's like so the strangest decision looking. ever right. made. Because yeah. it's a very well designed movie. It's a well designed movie with a lot of clever visual ideas, yeah. but then also they're like, but every building should be white. It looks really fucking boring. Yeah. Uh, when they pitched it, when it was like first announced, I was like, I like the idea of doing a Harry Potter movie. That is not like living in the mythology. Right. And that it is, is just not like, about the boy who lived. Like that is not part of this like epic hero. It's like gremlins like, or small soldiers. It's like he's got a suitcase and the things fall out and he's got to capture them all. You know, right, it's, right, it's, right. it's Harry Potter Pokemon. And then the movie is so much about like wizard it's so, Hitler. It's so deep in the mythology. Right. That's it's the like, problem. I bet right. you wonder what the other countries were like. And it's like, not really. I don't. Like can't. what do they got? Wizards? Right. Well, yes, actually. Wizard New York. And it like looks a lot like wizard London. <laughs> Very similar. Uh, but Dan Fogler's there. Dan Fogler, Mr. You have to bleep it out again, David. <sighs> Dan Fogler probably is the best Why performance in that movie, movie, right? That's like Why? that's the most effective. Colin character. Farrell's very good. Oh yes, yeah. it's also an. Oh, hey, you have to bleep that out too. <laughs> Don't give many hints. Uh Maybe that this uh, okay, maybe this will be uh, this be- is a legendary episode. I think this yeah we're gonna have to do it again next year, same time next year. <laughs> Talk Stop the walk. setting that up. <laughs> Talking the walk, twenty eighteen fans. That is not happening. I want to be clear at so, the at the end of every year's Talking the Walk. We plan next year's Talking the Walk. Maybe yeah. it's like a premium episode. Possibly. Hold on, I'm emailing Drew Bowen right now to design our. <laughs> I-, I talked the walk twenty eighteen show. <laughs> If you want- <laughs> no, what it's got to be now, it's got to be, I talked the walk and it's got to be a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> With every other a slice missing. pizza, yeah. Oh, ha, 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 ha. Oh, ho, ho. oh, David, it's me, Griffin in the present tense. Thinking back on that episode we recorded a couple weeks ago. A great episode. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Um, 
Remember when we made the joke about the I Talk the Walk t-shirts? Sure, it was ha, a, ha, an ha. idle joke. Ha, 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 so One funny. of our famed tangents. No, I'm going to get deathly serious now. We oh made God. them, and they're I'm available right, right now. now on TeePublic. You can wear a shirt that announces to everyone proudly that you talked the walk in 2018. Why and is the wind howling so menacingly? You're setting a standard. You're making a promise that you will continue to talk the walk every year and buy another t-shirt and we'll all become billionaires. <laughs> There's a crow pecking at my eye. <laughs> ben, get that crow away from your eye. You need to see. Go to tpublic.com. Slash stores. Buy. Slash blank hyphen check. Buy your I Talk the Walk 2018 t-shirt because you're going to feel embarrassed if you don't get in the ground floor and you don't have a complete collection 10 years from now. I mean, now. this is just one question. I mean, did you talk the walk or not? Right. Did you or didn't you? And here's a, here's a parallel question. Are you a goddamn loser or not? Are you going to step up to the plate? And own your life. Oh, and there's another question. Ben, remember when this promo was going to be short? I, my ears are bleeding. <laughs> and Ben, here's one more question. Who designed the t-shirt? What? Who designed the t-shirt, Ben? My father, Robert. <laughs> and Robert if, Hasler. As if you need to hear anything else. So go buy your shirts now, you losers. Did you know Ben's dad actually designed the t-shirt, guys? That's truly, <laughs> truly no jokes. He texted us the other day being like, my dad's designing a logo. It's a he's, family he's affair here, blank check. I'm gonna puke. <laughs> what if we uh what if we end this episode no, i agree what if we make good out of this and make an annual this is not a joke an annual billy lynn themed charity walk for blankies what if we like use it as like a force for good in the world we weaponize our fan base and you do the annual billy lynn podcast walk to raise money for i don't herniated discs and backs of actors Closely cut, cut all that out, Ben. <laughs> yeah, Just cut yeah. it out. Okay. <laughs> Great. I talked a Wait. lot 2018. <laughs> but I do think I we feel should, like JD I, comes into every episode where he's like, I'm gonna coin a new fucking catchphrase for this <laughs> show if I live to regret it. Talking the walk 20, 2018. T-shirt is I talked the walk with a pizza with a couple of slices missing. <laughs> Spinning motion line. I didn't I didn't do one of my uh patented uh sub podcast this episode oh i guess not oh that's true you want to do one now hey guys jd amato here just jumping in for a quick second I, I didn't actually have anything to say but because i set it up in the episode ben said that i had to put something in so i guess i'll just say this if i got any of the tech or physics stuff wrong this episode i'm sorry i tried my best also i'm sorry we didn't really talk about the plot of the movie anyways we'll do better next year talking the walk 2019 now back to the show and we're back <laughs> Uh, Runtime, two hours, right 24 minutes, people. Let's <laughs> oh my. kill it. And we didn't even go over the plot of the movie. No, but At all. To be fair, when we bleep out Dan Fogler's email address, the episode will be one hour and two minutes. <laughs> right, correct. That's true. It's a very long email address. I don't know how it's anyone really ever long. It. Has Rachel just been trying to type out the email address for weeks now? From the moment they hired her. <laughs> just finished. Yeah. Wait. Okay. Can I finish? Can I finish? <laughs> yes. I just, Here's 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 the things I want to get off my chest. He's getting movie. the manifesto out again. Let's <laughs> <laughs> take out a second. I just want to say it's leather bound. I want to locking it with a key. I want to shout out a couple people. It was just an eldritch scream that came out of that thing. <laughs> Some fantastic beasts are crawling out. Yeah. A niffler. <laughs> the, the table is turning to stone around it. <laughs> Go on. What, what's up? <laughs> Dimitri Portelli, the stereographer and 3D supervisor of the film, yeah. needs a shout out. Ben Gervais, the production system supervisor. Those are the two dudes that did all the tech stuff for this film. And if you look up, this Sony has all these articles about how it went down. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. 3D is really good in this one. Yes. Uh, they used... Uh, 
other the other facts that I want on the record. They used uh, true motion shutters, which have the ability to have more than 360 degree shutter angle. Now they understand a shutter. How crazy is that? It doesn't really, I don't really get what that even means. Uh, JD's manifesto is sucking neighboring objects into it. <laughs> it's like a portal. It's on fire, but he can still touch it. <laughs> all right, that's most of all I want to say. Well, we finally did it. We got JD to be a little embarrassed. JD, are you right if I scan that and make it a PDF available for people? No. Is that- I'm not. It's proprietary. He's got to save something for next year. Okay. No, you can't have it. Wow. All right. That's that's. I, I'll bring in a manifesto, mm-hmm. and whatever I get into in the podcast is what we get into it, and whatever we don't get into, it's for Talking the Walk 2019, <laughs> and we get into it there. All right. It will be included in JD's archives that are donated to a university when he dies. <laughs> I'll tr- I'll try to hop into the uh, the the Reddit. Yeah, to, tr- to try to answer some yeah. questions. <laughs> sure. I, I got called out. I went to watch you guys. Uh, David the did Discord. A Q- yeah, I was. A I went into the, the Discord, Discord to, to to chat with fans, mm-hmm. and I was, and I was, I was like, like, I was like, oh, I want to. I'll watch David answer questions, and I didn't know. I didn't know how Discord worked. I, I used it for I video games. Either. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With like three friends, and mm-hmm. so I went in. And it was like, ding, JD Amato has arrived. And everyone was like, <gasps> and I was like, no, 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 I don't want this. Stop, stop looking at me. And I was like, what's up, JD? How you doing? How do you think the Bulls are going to do this year? You know, I like tried to talk to you, and you were like, I'm just lurking. And then the other night, I opened up Discord again to play video games with friends, and it had me. Auto- automatically blankies, logged in right. that. People are like, hey, and I was like, oh, oh, oh God. Goodbye. Yeah. But I lurk on that thing. I ran, uh, after my last episode, someone that I was in the grade school performance of West Side Story. Yes. They gave you a good review. There's the fir- first and only time I was ever in a play. Yeah. Shout out to you, Taylor. Well, in you've been school. in staged performances at the UCB and stuff. I guess that's not, not a like play. a play. Yeah. Yeah. You've never done. Also, yeah. this is the one time uh, I told you guys someone on the street was like, oh, you're J.D. Amato from Blank Check. Jesus so this is now Christ. my home. That's your title. On the street? Oh, it was a friend of a friend. Shout- okay. Still, though. Yeah. Shout out to you. Um. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank you for talking the walk. J.D., thank you for being here. Congratulations on your uh, entry into the Five Timers Club. Thank you. I also say, I don't, I, I, I don't need to, I don't, I'm not in competition with Emily or Richard. Those are people that should be on the podcast no. more than me. They're actual film critics with disagree. actual interesting Hard takes. disagree. Beyond getting into the technical stuff, like, I don't really have hot takes hey, on no, stuff. No, I get not, you. I get you. You're the best the best. Emily, you, Richard, you're actual critics who I read your reviews of things. That's very nice, yes. No, but you belong in the podcast as much as anyone else, you maniac. Yeah. Stop being a maniac, you maniac. I love movies. And I love this podcast. Blanket. And I love you guys. Uh, I love you too, love JD. You too, JD. Blanket. Thank you. Thank it. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you for taking the walk. Sure. Uh, thank you for listening to the Ang Lee miniseries. Quite a long one. Quite a long one. Uh, next week, we be- begin the run of our March Madness uh, champion, Nancy the Juggernaut. Later this week, a little b- b- bonus well, episode. Well, there's that too. Yes. Ang Lee's The Hire. Or no, what was his called? Right? The Hire was the whole series. The BMW short series where they had like John you know, I, 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 Chosen. Chosen was his. The higher was the larger series. We're going to do that and including that our final summation thoughts on Ang Lee. Uh, thank you for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Go to blankiesrad.com for some real nerdy shit. Thanks to Andrew Fergudo for our social media. Thanks to Joe Bone and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. Lane Montgomery for our theme song. And as always, JD looks like he has something to say. Nothing. Really? 
Don't forget to hack my Mac. I got my quote I'm going to use. All right. Good, right? Quote. There's a quote? I, I mean, here. This I, movie has can a this, line this be titled it? Talk in the Walk 2018? As if to imply that every year we'll return. <laughs> You're so obsessed with breaking our format this week. I think we should also. I'm not saying we have to do it. I'd say we have to do it. It's, it implies that we will. What if we make <laughs> t-shirts? Talk in the Walk 2018. What if we make t-shirts that said, I, I talked the walk 2018 and it had like some like survived like, you know, like it was like, like fireworks, like the poster. Yeah. Or, you know, right? I talked the walk 2018 and it's got the silhouette of uh, fake Beyonce. <laughs> Addressing her wig from behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Put that all at the end of the episode. Um, we'll see. There, we'll see what the response is. Sure. This movie is so insane. Okay. Are you ready? It is insane. It's the best. No, no, it isn't. <laughs> yes, it is. I will convince you by the end of this. <laughs> no, you won't.